You're listening to Feral Attraction. Hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a recap discussion of MFF 2017. We then bring you our eighth all-question show, in which we answer questions about shifting polyamory dynamics, finding first sexual relationships, and more. We close out the show with some feedback from our listeners. Hello again, and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vero the Science Collie. So uh, first off, thanks everybody for your patience. We took a week off last week. There was just a lot going on, a lot of scheduling issues. It it just wasn't going to happen. And Honestly, I've had a lot going on in my personal life, and I haven't really been up to doing the show myself. So between that and the other issues going on with Metrico and scheduling and such, we've just decided to punt a week. But... That being said, uh, MFF did happen, and so we'd like to give you a little recap on that. We had hosted a couple of events at the con. Uh, I was kind of bedraggled for my panel, unfortunately, so it didn't. Uh, I wouldn't say I was quite as uh, present as I normally would be, so I apologize for that. But it's still, we still had a really nice turnout for the panel. I think it, we still uh, it went really well. I focused on themes of talking about communicating needs and wants and being honest and transparent with your partners, and I hit that point really hard. And uh, that, I think, actually came across really well. It was a really good uh, conversation, and we had some people from the audience participate, and that was really great. So uh, for for those of you who'd like to see the panel and maybe see it presented a bit more traditionally, I'll be uh, presenting it, I believe, next at uh, Further Confusion. Uh, Look for me, and my con schedule is actually uh, filling out pretty nicely this year. So I I may also be presenting at Texas Furry Fiesta. I probably will be at First Square, it's looking like. So there's a few cons coming up that I that you might be able to catch it at if you haven't caught it at MFF. And I promise I won't be uh, quite as dead at my next presentation. Uh, there, our party that we hosted on Sunday night actually went super, super well, though. We had a kind of unofficial uh, event, a Feral Attracting Presents uh, Dead Dog After Dark underwear party that people from uh, the show and some other friends and uh, friends of friends uh, came to. And that was, that was really great. Uh, and... Thank you all for showing up to that, those of you who were able to make it. We'll be hosting that party again, too, pretty much at all the cons that I mentioned. So we're going to try to make that a recurring event and continue our theme of sharing sex positivity with the fandom and modeling good behavior in the fandom by creating warm, positive, and safe spaces for uh, sexual and kink exploration at cons in a body-positive and sex-positive way, because that's the kind of stuff that we like to do. So it was really nice being able to host that. I actually like being a dungeon uh, moderator in that situation. We only had to eject one person from the party, and that actually went over really well. So thank everybody for behaving, following our uh, rules that we laid out in our show notes from our uh, Underwear Party Etiquette episode. You guys were all fairly well-behaved. We had a really great time. It was super sexy. And uh, yeah, it was a great, it was a great fun social outing as well. So uh, please check out our announcement group on Telegram or our Twitter for future event announcements. If either the panel or the parties sound like something you would have liked to attend and maybe got it, didn't get a chance to at this con. Yeah. So again, thank you everybody for showing up. Thank you to uh, Sotok for hosting us and your amazing suite. That was very generous of you. Um, and it's, it's, I'm very glad that everybody was super body positive, very sex positive. 
one of the biggest complaints that I hear about underwear parties or room parties in general is that some people who may not be um, what what you know Hollywood would portray as the physical ideal of handsome or beautiful feel that they can be left out. And I did not hear any sort of negativity that came from the party in terms of people that you know are fat like me you know being able to show up and have a good time it's 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 really funny um there's been this really big kind of resurgence within the fandom of oh my god i love dad bod oh dad bod is so hot but the second that these people kind of encountered dad bod in real life they're just like no so it's kind of funny to see the the fantasy not really carry into real life and then they get really body shaming yeah i've noticed that too the discrimination at like in, in parties is really not cool. And that's one reason uh, that, again, I wanted to make this party a thing. With the same way that we, we found a fairly attraction in response to bad behavior that we saw in the fandom, I, finding this party series in response to bad behavior I've seen from party hosts. So, you know, it's nice to kind of push back against that and show, show what things could be like, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's I know be the change that you want to see in the world is maybe a little bit too lofty of of a sentiment when it comes to a room party at a fur con. But it's it's I do. I, I heard just amazing things about a lot of room parties at MFF, how people felt really welcome, how people felt not. I mean, not just our party, but um, from the people of color in the fandom party where everybody felt that it was a nice inclusive group and it was fun and friendly. I've heard a lot of really positive things from MFF and I'm really glad that the world's largest fur convention now uh, was able to pull off such an amazing event. Um, I think that now that everybody was going to be a part of that too, it's kind of cool to see the dealers then located to a new space to see the con kind of actually begin to use the skywalk. Like it actually becomes necessary now. You mean the hot uh, box, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, you know, it's cool because the convention is actually starting to feel more like Anthrocon in the sense of like there being multiple hotels involved, it being more spread out. It just feels like a much bigger, broader convention. And I think uh, MFS kind of growing up and there's some growing pains associated with that. But I think overall, it was a really successful year. I'm really proud of MFF and how things were handled. So congratulations on taking the number one spot and uh, looking forward to next year. Yeah. And when, when a con is growing like that, it's, it's really... Everybody should take time, especially if you attended, to thank the staff that helped run the convention. Yes, there were hiccups. Yes, the line for registration was in itself a completely entirely different convention. (laughs) Yeah, the reg line was an issue. Unfortunately, I pre-reg, so I managed to avoid that fiasco. But for those people who uh, ended up having to deal with that, it was pretty terrible. But even so, it's these are kinds of growing pains. These are kind of logistical issues that with time conventions are able to mitigate for and find solutions for. So it's good to voice your concerns, but make sure that you're not overly critical. At the end of the day, pretty much everybody that staffs these conventions are volunteers. So, you know, that just just a thought because I've staffed conventions, I've run conventions, and a lot of the time you only hear a lot of the negatives. So it's really nice to hear a lot of the positives. So make sure that you voice both the good and the bad. And don't kind of gaslight the bad when you have that opportunity to. <laughs> so MFF was a lot of fun for pretty much everybody that I, that I've heard from it's, it seems that everybody had a really great time, a lot of great events, a lot of great panels, a lot of money raised for charity. So job well done, everybody. It's, it's, you know, I'm sure Rosemont will be glad to see everybody come back and 
double the population of the city <laughs> next <laughs> MFF. But um, we didn't want to do a, a, a lengthy top of the show because this is our all question show. And we kind of wanted to get into the meat of it, so to speak. It's There's a lot happening in the world right now. There's a lot of things in flux and we have a lot of things that we could talk about at the top of the show. We're going to hold off on doing that because we have... I don't want to say a massive backlog, but we have a massive backlog. <laughs> yeah. And part of that's because my personal life has been shit. And as a result, I've not been running my advice column as frequently as I would like. So that is usually a way that we clear out the excess question flow. And I haven't been doing that. So we're just going to blow through them all right now. So enjoy, everyone. <laughs> so we're going to kick off with um, our first question. And the questioner wrote with, um, I found myself in two new relationships and now I can't decide. Help. Um, to, to, before I even begin reading this, this is a bit of a longer question. So settle in. It's, it's, it's important. And I'm glad when people write with a lot of information because it helps us to fully understand what's happening. So, um, I'm not going to knock this being a longer question. The more background, the more information we have, the more able we are to sort of give, you know, information and our own advice. So, but you may have to listen a couple of times because we sure did. So <laughs> don't be afraid of that rewind button, everyone. <laughs> so a couple of months ago, uh, around February, I started talking to a guy in a Telegram chat for my suit maker. Let's call this let's call this guy Jim. Jim and I hit it off pretty well, talking for a bit and becoming online friends. I developed a I develop a bit of a suit and an actual crush on him because, well, an adorable suit and guy. Fast forward a couple of months, and I hear that he's going to be at IFC. I immediately ask if uh, he knows anybody with an open room, and he says his is full, but he sets me up with a friend of his. IFC rolls around, and we really hit it off. To make a long story short, hookups ensue. We hang out for a large chunk of the con, and everything is great. Con's over, and he goes back to his home. I go back to mine. We're now about five hours apart. No biggie. I've dealt with long-distance relationships before, and Jim seems like he would be willing to come up to me as well as I come to him. A month or so later, I'm down at his place for the weekend and having a blast. We're getting along really well, and I pop the question of if he wants to be my mate. He tells me that there's some reasons he can't right now, but soon. I respect that, and we go our ways. Uh, we hit a bit of a standstill and nothing happens for a couple of weeks. In the meantime, I meet a friend of a friend. Let's call her Katie. Now, Katie sort of catches my interest. And at this point, things are radio silence between Jim and I. I inquire to Katie and I's mutual friend, and they tell me that Katie is asexual and a monogamous type. Sort of a deal breaker for me because I have a relatively average sex drive and would either need a monogamous partner to share that or an open relationship to seek that fulfillment from somewhere else. So that's put on the back burner, but the thought sticks around. Katie and I become good friends, hanging out pretty frequently since she lives close to me. We share interests, senses of humor, etc., etc., etc. I can't get the thought out of my brain. Eventually, I notice she's somewhat going out of her way to do things with me, and I poke Katie and I's mutual friend to look into it. The friend gets back to me saying, congratulations, you might be the first person Katie has been into. I'm excited, but I have to tamp it for another reason. During this time, Jim has picked things back up. We have a couple of good discussions, and we are getting back to where we were. He finally admits to me in a moment of vulnerability that his last relationship was very abusive and basically that his confidence has been shaken. It all makes sense to me, and I really connect with him. 
We agree to give the relationship thing a try, but I don't really tell anyone about it just yet. Uh, I have a penchant for drama when announcing these sort of things. He also agrees to let it be open since it's long distance, and he's not too keen on one of my bigger kinks, which is mersuiting, but he wants me to explore myself. Perfect, right? This is where things begin to get really messy. Katie and I had already agreed to a movie night after I had agreed to be Jim's mate. That night, we sort of cuddled up on the couch as two close friends sometimes do, and it gets a bit intimate. Nothing crazy, just some kissing. For some stupid reason, I don't tell her that I had agreed to be Jim's mate, though. She professes how she said a thing for me and wants to date. I'm nervous now and backpedaling, and so I say to hold off for a bit. More cuddling, and the night ends. The next day, I tell her the situation, and I'll be damned, but Katie takes it really well. She says that she's glad that I told her so soon, and even though she's sad, we can still be friends. It would be fine if she didn't punctuate it with, I'll be here if anything changes. Fast forward a week, and I'm back down with Jim for a mutual friend's birthday party. During this weekend, I notice a couple of things I don't like, particularly about Jim. Little things that just irk me slightly, but nothing horrendous. The weekend ends, and in a moment of confusion at my current situation, I ask him if we could postpone telling others that we're mates. I tell him that I don't want to rush in after essentially only a few dates in real life. Uh, That seems okay to him. So now we're in the present. So we're in the present now, everybody. (laughs) I'm in a pseudo relationship with Jim that has a lot of pros, but also a lot of cons. On the pros, he's a real sweetheart and shares the same suit maker as me, as well as being okay with an open relationship for me to explore my kinks. We've got a history, and I know that I'm helping him through his previous relationship issues. Cons are that he's far away and has some personality quirks that bother me, like not reciprocating conversation very well and not sharing my vivacious outgoing attitude in public situations. Katie, on the other hand, is a close and amazing artist and fursuit maker, which is a big turn on for me, shares a lot of my likes and dislikes as well as my general sense of humor, and we get along amazingly well. However, she has a lower sex drive than me and wants to stay relatively closed, which isn't as much of a deal breaker if she were, as if she were ace, but it is definitely a con, and she does not share my kinks, which would mean I would have to find non-harmful ways to deal with that instead of exploring them. I want things to work out with Jim, but I can't get the idea of a relationship with Katie out of my head. They both have pros and cons that almost balance out with them leaning ever so slightly towards Katie. But I feel like dumping Jim so quickly after we sort of agreed to be in a relationship, especially with this history, would just break him. And I care a lot for him, regardless of romantic interest. Right now, I've resigned to the plan to give Jim until MFF to give me a good reason to stay. And if not, try to break it back to a friendship and move on to Katie. But I'm not sure if that's the right thing to do. TLDR. Well, in this case, I guess it would be too long to listen for everybody. (laughs) Long distance, not as many shared interests with Jim with some past relationship issues and open to prone. I'm sorry, open to open relationships versus local. Lots of shared interests. Katie, who's lower sex drive and doesn't share kinks. I know I just vomited a whole story on you full of stupid complexities and crisscrossing narratives, but hopefully you can see what's going on here and give me some input. I'm just afraid that the longer I take to figure this thing out, the better chance there is of losing both of them. And the absence of being able to chime in on this specific story, is there anything you can weigh in on regarding breaking up with people who have had past abusive or negative relationships? Or maybe how to de-escalate a relationship back into a friendship? So one thing I'm going to point out here is uh, 
the first thing that struck me about this is that you have a bit of a false dichotomy problem going on. And that is, it's not Katie or uh, Jim. It's Katie or Jim or option three, which is none of the above and someone else who actually is compatible with you. I think your problem is that neither Jim nor Katie is truly compatible with you. They're both near misses, unfortunately. And you're comparing two near misses to each other and saying, which one of these is less likely to be a near miss? Granted, you can always round people up to one and decide to, to, to settle. Not that settle necessarily, but just realize, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to get every single thing I need in all in one partner, right? And so you decide, I'm going to round this person up to one, and I'm going to commit to this person, and they're going to be the person I devote myself to, even if they don't have absolutely every single last quality I'm looking for in a romantic partner. So you can, I think in this case, you need to figure out whether either Katie or Jim is worth rounding up to one. And if neither of them is, you should be moving on from both of them. If both of them are, then you should be discussing a polyamorous relationship with them. And if one of them is, you should be committing to that person and backing away from the other. Uh, if you, The other issue is if you know one of them is open to polyamory and the other one isn't, that helps you make your choice too, right? So, I mean, you have to go with what you know is your needs and wants too. And if somebody is telling you that they're not open to that and they're also not able to meet your needs, you're setting yourself up for failure. So just in terms of basic compatibility, not looking at like what your actual feelings towards these people are, uh, Jim does look like the more compatible partner just because he's at least willing to let you explore your, your needs elsewhere. The fact that Katie's unwilling to do that means that even though she gets massive bonus points for being local, you're probably going to be less satisfied with her in the long run because eventually those needs are going to start screaming at you and you're not going to be able to get them met in a way that satisfies you. So that's going to be a problem down the road for your relationship. So my advice is have a very honest conversation with Katie about your needs and wants. Like I talked about in my panel at MFF, you need to be very honest about your needs and wants. And if she can't hear those without judging you, or if she can't hear those without saying no, then she is not the right person for you. Meanwhile, do the same thing with Jim. And also you can express to Jim any you know minor dissatisfaction you have with, hey, I'm not sure if we're really connecting you know, interpersonally, is there a reason why our conversations aren't more fluid? Do you, do you think, do you think that, you know, are we, is it because, you know, we're just building towards intimacy or, you know, do you think that that's something that we can overcome? Or do you think that you maybe we're just not compatible? You know, you can have a very honest conversation with Jim about that too. But I think these are going to be tough conversations. They aren't going to be fun conversations, but it's a matter of being very brutally honest and direct about your needs and wants. And you need to do that with both of these people in order to figure out whether either of them is worth rounding up to one for you. And I think there's a fairly high possibility that in the end, neither of these partners will be the one for you. Maybe they were both experiences you needed to have in order to learn more about what you need and want and to refine what it is that you're looking for. And you can view both of them as being positive influences in your life who you don't have to break off your connection with, but they might not be your life partner. And you might have to acknowledge that for both of them. I know that's a tough thing to think about, but just be careful of not trapping yourself in a false dichotomy just because you're interested in two people at the same time. Which is what I would agree with as well. It's I feel like there's when, when you're in cases where there, you have two people that you have an interest in and there's no kind of means for which all of you to be in a poly style relationship together and you start comparing back and forth it gets a little bit i don't like i don't like that personally it's when you compare people on paper it sort of takes a lot of it out for me um 
when I make. And it, it kind of removes the humanity from the relationship, right? It makes yeah. it a business transaction. And that's like some of the pros that you list for Katie and also for Jim kind of fall more on the materialistic side, which is Jim has a fursuit from the same maker. Katie makes fursuits. And I can understand how those can be pros because that is a very large interest that you personally have both in an aesthetic and also in a sexual sense with your kink of suiting. However, it's, it's being able to make a fursuit and also having the same maker that has made both you and your partner's fursuit does not a healthy relationship make. I feel like with Jim, you have a lot of communication issues, which is what you're saying. It's difficult for him to reciprocate conversation or perhaps even to initiate conversation. He's more reserved when you're out in public, whereas you are more bombastic. And I I will say that introverts and extroverts can have very healthy relationships. And I don't necessarily know personally if that's as large of a con. Again, I don't know Jim. And um, it's it's situations like this, that's something that comes down to your own personal, uh, we'll call it a taste level. Um, there are some people that do need to have somebody that is as excited for life every second that they're out of the apartment, out of the house. And it can be a little bit of a downer if you are kind of having a live life, love celebration every second and your partner isn't always on board with you. So I can understand that. Uh, I'll say that just from sort of thinking things through with all of this, if you were to look at it from an objective standpoint, you're looking for a poly relationship. And if you can't have a poly relationship, you're looking for a monogamous relationship with an individual that is able to give you the sexual sort of outlet that you need. Katie, that's going to be a very difficult conversation to have with Katie because, and it's important to note, just kind of swing in the bat here. Just because somebody is asexual doesn't mean that they don't enjoy sex. And that might be a conversation that's awkward to have with her, but it's a conversation that you should have with her. What is her sex drive? What is, if you would want to have sex three times a week, is that something that she would be able to kind of tolerate? And that's an awful word to say in this context, but it's kind of what we have to work with. In the case of Jim, you have the issue of distance. You have the issue of a personality clash, potentially. As Vera was saying, it is entirely possible that neither of these individuals are going to be somebody that you would be able to round up to one. That being said, if you're not looking for a serious relationship, then these are connections that you could definitely have. It sounds to me, though, that you are looking for a serious sort of relationship. You're looking for a mate. You're not necessarily looking for just a playmate. And so think about your needs and think about them in an objective sense and strip away all the materialistic, strip away the fursuit, strip away the crafting, and just come down to it on a person-to-person sort of comparison. And don't compare the two against each other. Compare what they have to offer against what you would want in a relationship. Compare them to you. And that will help you out a little bit more because when you compare people against each other, you get caught up in it. You get 
a comparison chart that ends up being equal across the board, and then you get further stagnated and, and trying to make a decision. In regard to your other questions about how do you break up with somebody that has past abuse or a past negative relationship, quite frankly, it's kind of the same way that you break up with everybody. It's There is a tendency for people to want to sort of be a little bit nicer in those sorts of situations or try to spare feelings, but feelings are going to be hurt. And the fact of the matter is, if it is an amicable breakup, there is no need to be harsh. If things aren't going to work out, things are not going to work out. You don't need to be an iron fist, you know, inside of a velvet glove. You just need to say, I've been doing some thinking and it's, you can give a few reasons. You can say it's the distance. You can say it's the communication. You can say that it's, you know, you're, you're just not sure where things are going and that's fine. You don't have to sort of say, well, you don't talk a lot. You don't do this. You don't do that. Things like that are needlessly harsh, especially if you want to stay friends with the individual. And that's kind of the secret to if you want to kind of take the relationship and convert it into a friendship. You don't go out of your way to be needlessly harsh or needlessly cruel when you're breaking up. In the case of Katie, who you're not in a relationship with, you can say, I think it would just be better if you and I remain as friends. What her friend said to you, the congratulations, you're the first person that Katie's been attracted to, that can sometimes weigh a little bit guiltily if you give it enough consideration. Oh God, I'm the first person that she's been attracted to and I'm rejecting her feelings. Oh God, that's got to make her feel like shit. The good news is that you might be the first person that she is attracted to, but you're probably not going to be the last. And... For better or worse, you are not responsible for who people are attracted to. And so just because Katie is attracted to you does not mean, and and you're attracted to her, does not mean that the relationship has to come to fruition. If it does, that's fine. But if it doesn't, that's also fine. It's important to remember that you don't owe someone anything just because they have feelings for you. And that's actually a, a major trap that people fall into. And I'll be very brutally honest. It's one of the things that's hurt me the most in my life when people are doing partners doing this to me is they didn't realize that, you know, feeling obligated or feeling like they needed to, that the acting on that was actually genuine. And the only genuine reason you should be with someone is because your heart sings for that person, right? right? If you're with them for any other reason, it's the wrong reason. And it's very important to internalize that as soon as you possibly can. Because being with somebody out of obligation or being with somebody out of guilt or being with someone out of fear, you're essentially emotionally blackmailing yourself into a relationship at that point. They're not emotionally blackmailing you. You are emotionally blackmailing yourself into a relationship with that person by using your own sense of obligation and your own fear and your own guilt to keep you trapped with someone who you're not actually genuinely interested in or who doesn't actually make you happy. And if that person doesn't actually make you happy, then you need to be with someone else. And we're not saying that that's what's happening here. We're not saying that you... Your attractions are, are in any way disingenuous. No, no, of course not. But you need you really need to be interrogating yourself and thinking about this, right? It's 
something that I've come to realize in my life is just because I have feelings for somebody does not mean that a relationship has to happen. And as a polyamorous person, that's a really tough lesson that I've had to internalize too. Because it's really fucking easy for no pardon my French, right? But it's really easy for me to form new relationships because I'm I'm able to. I'm a relationship anarchist. I'm the dominant in my pack, which means I basically have complete autonomy to do whatever I like. So I can form a new relationship whenever I like. If I abuse that, though, I'm not being very good to my existing partners. I'm also not being very good to myself. And for, if you want a more thorough investigation of why that is, I would strongly encourage you to go back and check out our episode on emotional bandwidth, which is, I think, a really right. good episode that we've recorded. And it talks about the fact that in order to really be there and emotionally present for anyone, including yourself, you need to limit your number of intimate connections to the number that you can truly handle, right? If you form too many intimate connections, Sometimes you can get yourself into trouble there. So you need to think about your own needs and wants and what you're actually looking for, whether you can only be satisfied by just one partner, whether you truly need more multiple partners on a sexual level, on a romantic level. Frankly, you've got a lot of things that you haven't quite figured out for yourself. It doesn't really sound like you actually have a solid understanding of your own true needs and wants. And so it's going to be tough for you to communicate those to Katie or Jim or if you don't know what they are yourself. So the first step is going to be really pinning down your needs and wants as far as a relationship is concerned. Think about how Katie or Jim might be able to meet those. And then also think about whether you're able to meet their needs. And at that point, you can maybe hopefully make a good, solid decision that will minimize the pain for all parties involved. And that should ideally be your yeah. goal, right? Yeah, And that is the other side of the equation that I was going to get to is we're, we're talking about you and this relationship with, with either Jim or with Katie in kind of this abstract one-sided way. There are also their feelings that have to be taken into consideration and their needs and their expectations and their wants. So the simplest way to come to any kind of conclusion is to have these difficult conversations with them individually. And again, to compare their needs and their wants to your needs and your wants, and to see if Jim's current communication hiccups are something that he's working on. Maybe it's something that he's just kind of nervous at the beginning of a relationship. Maybe with Katie, it's right now, it's she may be a little bit more sexually limited, but over the course of the relationship, that might change. There are a lot of factors that kind of come into play, especially with newer relationships and especially with people that are on the ACE kind of uh, ACE spectrum, whether they're asexual or gray sexual. And with long distance relationships and with poly relationships, you have additional factors to kind of take into, play, uh, take into consideration. So what I would recommend is just think about what they offer to you as individuals and not what you can get out of them but what kind of fulfillment and completion that they will bring to your life. And if what they have to offer is going to make you feel complete, and if not complete, will it make you feel close enough to complete that you'll be able to round it up to that? Right. The relevant questions are, does, does this person make me feel joy consistently? Do we make each other better people? Right. Those are the relevant questions, not do they have a fursuit by the same maker or do they make more suits or whatever? I mean, that's, those are nice. Those are, those are bonus perks. Those aren't the reasons you. Right. Those aren't the reasons you have a relationship with someone, right? Yeah. So just yeah. try to be try to think about the stuff that actually matters. Now, again, kind of getting back to what Metrico was saying, if you want to be super materialistic, that's fine. But you're going to have a superficial, trans kind of sh shallow relationship that's probably going to be short lived. And if that's all you want right now, that's fine. 
but then be self-aware and realize that's what you're going to get. And don't be surprised when the relationship breaks up after a little while, right? But if you want something deep and meaningful and lasting, you got to be motivated by the right things. So think about what you actually need and want right now and really do think about it. And I think that'll really help you out. Absolutely. So there's a lot, to be honest, it's not as complicated and convoluted as you would think that it is. It's only as complicated as you want to make it. And while the story itself, while the situation you find yourself in internally might feel just so incredibly convoluted that it's difficult to make sense of, if you break it down into those components and those questions, you'll find that it's a lot easier to come to answers while retaining the humanity of the people involved. We're going to move on to our second question. Questioner writes with the subject, how do I stay sane when my two long-distant mates move in with each other? And I'll read this one since Metrico had to read the marathon question previously. (laughs) Hi, if you don't mind, I would like some advice right now on my current relationship. I've contacted you in the past about my mate and the possibility of him getting a new job, where I was worried about him not spending that much time with me. However, he did not get the job, so that's one problem I no longer have to deal with. There's another issue that I'll have to deal with pretty soon, though. I remember in your podcast about long-distance poly relationships and how if you're the long-distance partner and your partners are local to each other, it can be a recipe for tons of FOMO, envy, and jealousy, FOMO being fear of missing out. For a year, I didn't have to deal with this since my long-distance partners who live in California were apart from each other in NorCal and SoCal. However, that's about to change. I'm partners with a cat fur and a bunny fur. The cat fur lives in NorCal, the bunny fur lives in SoCal. However, after them being together for 11 years, the bunny fur is about to move in with the cat fur. I already feel as though I'm not going to be able to handle this emotionally very well. How can I make sure that despite them moving in together, that they will still be able to have time for me when it comes to conversation, sex, and intimacy? It's not really them moving in that bothers me, but if it will cut down on the time we spend together, I really that, that would bother me. It also doesn't help that they seem to be pretty good in terms of finances. However, I'm poor, and I, and I don't even have a car at the moment. It might take me four to six years to move in with them after I finish college. And even then, there's no guarantee they'll have a place of their own at that time, since the bunny fur is moving in with his cat fur's uncle's place, and his cat uncle has no idea about me because the cat fur believes he can't come out as polyamorous to his uncle. He already had mixed feelings about him being gay in a gay relationship. How can I speed up the process of me becoming local to them? How can I make sure they'll still have time for me for all of my needs? Plus, how can I make sure the feelings of FOMO, envy, and jealousy don't poison our relationship? Okay. Well, do you want to lead off of this one, Metric? If you don't mind. Go for it. So, I know that in relationships that you've been in for an extended period of time, there can be a sense that you need to kind of expedite your own personal growth. And I'm here to tell you that that is a recipe for disaster. Your own growth and your own personal investment cannot be sped up. It's If you think about your own sort of personal growth, in this case, you're going to college, you're kind of getting started out in life. If you try to speed that up, you're planting a tree in shallow soil. You need to take time to allow these sort of maturities to take root. So... On that note, uh, your, your question of how do I speed things up? How do I sort of move faster the process of you becoming local to them? 
I would recommend that you make sure that you are doing the thing that is in your best long-term issue. And in cases like this, the thing that I ask myself and I tell other people to ask their own selves is what will you do when the relationship is over? Are you putting yourself in the best possible position? And I know that it can sound a little bit devastating to think about the relationship being over, but that is a very important hypothetical. That's a very important and serious question you have to ask yourself. If you were to, let's say, quit school and move to be local with them, and we'll ignore the other issues, the issues with his uncle, all of that, just the three of you, if the relationship were to end and you were to no longer be in a relationship with either one of them, what would, what position would that put you in? Are you in a city where you have emotional support? Are you in a city where you have financial support? Are you in a city where you can find housing? You need to always try to put yourself into the best possible position. And that can sometimes lead to feelings of resentment, of jealousy, of envy, of, feel, of missing out, because you're still developing yourself while you see people that are further developed sort of moving forward with their lives. That can be something of an issue. And that's something that all of us, especially if we've dated people that are older, or even when we're younger in relationships, we can have that feeling of standing still and watching everybody kind of power walk past us while we're trying to develop who we are as individuals. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, this is one of those situations where it's, it's kind of just like some brutal honesty is important. And your, your question of how can I make sure I'll still have time for all of my needs kind of breaks my heart because the answer to that question is you can't. And the fact is they are just going to have less time for you. Like it's going to happen and you need to brace yourself for it and just be aware it's going to happen and be empathetic and understand why and realize and try to become Persian realize that your partners are making each other happy and that they're not leaving you out or neglecting you on purpose. They're not spending less time with you because they don't love you anymore, but they're just spending less time with you because they're busy with each other and they're exploring the fun of, and the pleasure of being local to each other and having the newness of that. So that's going, there's going to be a kind of a burst of NRE that you're going to be left out of and it's going to happen. And there's no avoiding it. It's, it's going to happen. It's human nature. It's part, this is one of the downsides of polyamory is you have to be ready for these. This is one of those kind of, unfortunately, there are some crests. There's some really high moments where polyamory makes you feel amazing. And there are some really bad valleys. <laughs> and this is one of those valleys where you have to deal with your partners entering without you. And that sucks. I have a partner who deals with this, actually, a long-distance partner who is in this exact situation. And my, I, I empathize so much because it, the situation blows and there's listen, there's no fixing it. The only thing that will fix it is you eventually being local, but there's no rushing that process either. So you just have to take your time and realize if I'm going to be in this relationship, it's going to suck for a little while. I'm going to have to deal with some negative emotions. And frankly, you're going to have to develop a hobby or uh, some coping strategies to distract yourself when your partners don't have time for you because they are going to not have time for you occasionally. You can still be devoted to them and they will, I swear, they're not, they aren't falling out of love with you. I know in this situation, it's really tempting to be with your anxiety and your paranoia and all the grief you're going through to think that that time that they're not spending with you means that they don't care about you or they don't love you the same way anymore. But I almost guarantee you their feelings for you are not changing. I almost guarantee you the only reason they're not spending as much time is because they're just too busy with each other. And as a result of that, 
don't punish yourself. Don't poison the relationship yourself. That's, I think, where the poison comes from, is when you let your own negativity inject into the situation and you read in negativity that's not there. You start blaming and accusing your partners of things and not assuming good faith. So long as you keep assuming good faith in your partners and you're willing to tolerate a little bit of uh, that envy and jealousy that's going to result from their FOMO uh, and FOMO's going to happen from them entering without you, you can still stay in this relationship and be happy, but you have to guard yourself very carefully against injecting negativity in the situation and kind of reading abandonment into a situation that's really just a result of them being busy with each other. You know, another thing that I want to point out is that we are talking in a larger scale. We're not talking in days or months. We are talking in years. So it's important to keep that in mind. Within a short time, they will be moving in together at the cat's uncle's place. That is right now. What are their long-term plans? Will they remain there for four to six years? I have a feeling that based on what you were saying about the the uncle who already struggles with um, his nephew being gay, possibly moving in with his lover, there's a lot of potential conflict that could arise from that. I have a feeling that that may not be a totally permanent situation. You're sort of concerned about how do you fit in within that specific equation. That might be difficult if you make time to go up for visits because you may not be able to stay at their house. You may not be able to visit at that specific location because it might be awkward. It could threaten their housing, whatever that might be. And those are situations that you three will be able to come to some form of a resolution together. The beautiful thing is that it is not them and you. It is all of you together as one polyamorous unit. And just because the two of them are living together, local to each other, and have more physical proximity and therefore more time spent together, that doesn't devalue your portion of the relationship. Distance does not equal you know, some, some level of quality. Many long distance relationships are able to maintain quality, even in polyamorous relationships where the two partners are local. And the one piece of practical advice I would give you too, is don't just tell us this stuff. Tell your partners the way you're feeling too. Tell your partners what you're worried about. Tell your partners you're concerned with them not having as much time for you. Tell your partners you're concerned about getting left out. And frankly, one accommodation that does work really well in this situation that I would strongly recommend is try to set up a a long distance date night with your partners where you all sit down and get on Skype and you all watch something on Netflix together. You all order the same dish from the Chinese restaurant that's local to you. It's not going to be the same Chinese restaurant, but you can all order fried rice and you can eat have the same meal together and it'll feel like you're on a date and it'll feel really nice. And you can all be chatting and catching up and feel like you're all together, even if you're not physically in the same space. And they might have the advantage of being able to cuddle and you won't be able to do that, but you can at least be there with them and be participating in the same moment and being part of the same moment together is really special. And that's something that you can still achieve long distance if you make it, if you make it happen, but it won't happen if you don't ask for it. It won't happen if you don't put it on the calendar. It won't happen if you don't make it happen. So make it happen, make those things happen. When you're the long distance partner, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And it sucks that you have to do this, but advocate for yourself, advocate for your own needs. When you're out of sight, you'll be out of mind. That's just human nature. It's not because your partners don't love you. It's just, it's just human nature. So when you're out of sight, you don't want to be out of mind. Make sure you are saying, Hey guys, love me. I need attention. Don't forget about me. I love you. 
it's fine to say that to your partners. If they love you back, they'll be like, oh, right, we have another partner. We have to make sure we're including him, right? That's kind of basic, but it's really important. I know a lot of, especially submissives who get in this situation, they they realize they, they, they're so used to kind of making their own needs not a priority that they don't speak up and they don't advocate for their time for time. The problem is that kills the relationship slowly because when you don't get time with your partner, eventually the relationship just erodes, right? So you don't want to poison the relationship by just leaving it. You're essentially leaving the relationship without meaning to, right? By never advocating for your own needs and never spending time with your partners, you're essentially leaving them, even though that's the last thing you want. It's really tragic to watch someone be that incredibly self-defeating. So please, 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 please actually advocate for your needs and wants and do ask for that time. Right. And when you practice self-advocacy, you'll find that it's very difficult for you to build resentment and jealousy and envy. You'll still feel jealous. You'll still have feelings of envy. You'll still have feelings of missing out. But resentment tends to be less likely when you are vocal and when you have good communication with your partners. As long as you're able to advocate for yourself, you're going to find this new upcoming transition a little bit easier. So I I echo what Vero says and talk to them about this. Talk to them about your feelings. Practice nonviolent communication. Don't tell them that they can't do this. And advocate for yourself. Focus on your own needs. It's so easy within a relationship, especially in polyamorous relationships, to, to essentially rely on your partners as some kind of a crutch or some kind of a filler for your own shortcomings. And you need to make sure that you're developing yourself as well. You need to make sure that you stand on your own. And this is going to be, quite frankly, a very good time for you to develop those skills. You're going to learn ways to be more resilient. You're going to learn more ways to handle disappointments. And even though it sounds like you might have had a less than ideal, you know, living situation, economic situation, that sort of plays a role when it comes to relationships with other people. You're able at handling the hardships of life, but but these are more like the hardships of the soul that you're going to be going through. And so you need to learn how to weather these storms because these happen when you are local. These sorts of feelings of envy, of jealousy, of missing out. These are things that will happen. And if you can learn to weather them in a long distance relationship, you're going to find a transition to a more local relationship to be far more seamless and a lot more rewarding. So communicate, practice nonviolent communication skills, talk about your feelings, set up those long distance date nights and make time for them in your schedule. An important thing that you should do is you're going to have to communicate your schedule to them a little bit more effectively. They know what's going on in their life because they're there. They know typically the day in and the day out. They may not know what you're going to be doing on any given moment. Sure. So you Google need- calendars can be helpful with that too. It's with time zones mm-hmm. and things being different, just being mm-hmm. able to see things blocked out on the same calendar is massively helpful. So consider having a shared calendar with all the three of you. That'll actually help you plan all this stuff out too. Mm-hmm. But understand that you're going to have to take a lot of initiative, like Vera was saying. And if you don't take the initiative, you can't necessarily you might feel negative towards them, but it's not necessarily a justified feeling that you have. 
And that's whether you're the dominant or the submissive or egalitarian in the relationship, no matter what your power dynamic is, just based on the physical structure of the situation, you have to take the initiative. It doesn't even, it doesn't matter if you're the sub. I know that's hard to think about. It might be hard for you to wrap your head around, but if you're in that situation, you have to be able to show initiative or you're going to get hurt. Yeah. So be flexible when it comes to scheduling things, because sometimes they may not be able to accommodate your schedule and you have to sort of be understanding of that. Have communicate, have, have conversations. If you want to have a date night and they say no, it is a fair question to ask why. Is there a conflict? Don't let no be no. Get answers and provide answers when questioned. Develop the conversations and develop the communication skills between you and your partners, because that's going to be what makes a healthy, sustainable, long-term, long-distance polyamorous relationship work. We're going to move on to our third question. Their subject was thanks and a little advice needed. Hello, Feral Attraction. I had asked the question before, um, back in episode 75, all questions show number six. Welcome to all questions show number eight, <laughs> by the way, friend. I had asked the question of what I needed to do to make other people like me. I have taken your advice and it has helped me a lot over these few months to overcome this obstacle that I had my entire time in being school. I have you to think majorly as this has changed my life drastically in a positive way. I did disregard changing my physical appearance because I planned laser eye surgery in the future, but that can't be done until my eyes stop changing how close I have to be to see something. But I focused on myself, which my coworkers enjoy due to I disregard everybody's opinions of me now. This led me to actually getting a girl's number, even though I could barely say a word to her since she looked gorgeous. Uh, the only way I got her number was I gave her a Taco Bell mild sauce packet that said, I think you're pretty. Um, you can feel free to laugh. I don't mind. <laughs> it's pretty funny actually (laughs) it is pretty a plus like i like it that's taking it from mild to spicy um i feel like there's an opportunity there i think you're hotter than this packet you know like (laughs) next time use the same technique but raise your game just a little bit on the pun okay (laughs) all right taco bell if you're looking for branding assistance frail attraction like admin hat feral attraction oh, that also oh. works if you're flirting with a cis admin you say you're, you're hotter than this packet and they'll, they'll you know <laughs> i don't want to lose you the way i don't want to lose this packet you know you can apply this in so many different uh contexts and in, in different fields <laughs> we're gonna move on with the question bureau i may just ask swift on security or furries from the internet yeah i mean it's true yeah it's true <laughs> But uh, back to the question, um, my past has left me feeling antisocial for quite a while, and I really want some advice on how to break more out of my shell and muster up some courage to talk to people in general. What can I do to become more sociable and be able be able to actually talk to this girl in person rather than text messages on a phone screen? That's a, that's a good question, and it's something that actually I see a lot of people have, and, and especially in the younger generation. Um, because with so much communication happening behind a screen, there's not so much interpersonal communication that's happening, you know, face to face. But this is this is a very easy thing to sort of work with. Um, Vero's way better at talking about I'm this. I'm at the bit for this question because yeah. it involves one of my favorite topics, which is mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy. And the way that you approach this is actually through decatastrophizing. So if you've seen our episodes on uh, decatastrophizing, well, sorry, cognitive behavioral therapy, 
we've talked about decatastrophizing as this basically way that you game things out and you look at like the worst possible scenario that could happen in a situation. And then you realize, wait, that's actually not so bad. And decatastrophizing helps you so much in this kind of social situation with social anxiety. Because like, let's say you want to talk to a girl, right? Think about the worst thing that could happen. You walk up to her and you, you talk to her and she laughs in your face. She turns away from you. She completely ignores you. She makes fun of you. She says you're ugly. She says you're disgusting, right? You can think of, guess what? Every time you think about that thing in advance, it's not going to bother you when it actually happens anymore because you've already gamed it out and you're prepared for it, right? Like, yeah, all those things could happen. But are you, are you going to die? No. That girl, yeah, okay, a girl rejected you. Oops. Next. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No one's dying in that situation, right? Like, it's such a scary thing, but also, like, it doesn't actually matter at all. No one's going to die, right? So just keep telling yourself, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot, and no one's going to die. I'm going to, maybe I'll make an ass of myself. Maybe she hates me. Maybe she thinks I'm an idiot. Maybe she thinks that I'm a creep, right? Who knows? But I'm going to try. And then afterwards, if it doesn't work, I'm going to say, okay, that was a bad approach. I'll try something else next time. And eventually you'll get it right and it'll work and you'll meet someone who, who likes you. And that's just how it works. Frankly, it's, a tri- it's, a, it's trial and error. But you have to be willing to be critical of yourself and to be self-analytical and to reflect on what worked and what didn't work. And you also have to be willing to try and you have to be willing to fail, right? You have to be willing to think about what's, what does failure look like? Am I really that afraid of failure in this situation? Will failure kill me? Failure's not going to kill you in this situation. The, the worst that's going to happen is a girl might laugh at you for a reason that's not laughing with you. She might laugh at you, right? That can happen. But you know what? I've been laughed at when I've made ovations at people. I've been called creepy. I was actually called creepy at our underwear party, oh, yeah, <laughs> which that's is hilarious. <laughs> that's the person I had to eject from our party made the mistake of calling the host of the party a creep to their face and then non-consensually hitting on someone. Not so good. Yeah. <laughs> and I, he, he wasn't they didn't a, get kicked out for calling me creepy. They got kicked out for the non-consensual touching. Yeah, but it was, it, yeah. it was extremely satisfying to kick them out, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, let's make that point. Like they, were, they weren't kicked out for, for calling you a creep. They were kicked out because they were um, acting in a predatory fashion. Actually, no, no. What they told me was that if I had improved my lighting and my selfies, I would appear less creepy. Oh, yeah. So it was actually a nag. I got nagged at my own party. It was it was amazing. <laughs> you got nagged because you look like Voldemort in your selfies. <laughs> Apparently, I need better lighting. Okay, thank you for the thank you for the suggestion. Put that in the tip box. <laughs> but to be quite honest, uh, questioner, you know, indeed, I I feel I I have a lot of um, social anxiety, uh, especially when it comes to talking to people that. I like or talking to people on the phone. I'm actually a weird person. Um, it's I'm not really that chatty of a person. Um, I can be if I know somebody really well, but when I first get to know somebody, I'm kind of more of an observational type. Um, I get nervous when I call even my close friends on the phone unannounced. Um, that's that's something that for I don't know what it is. It's I think oh, I have that too. I have major phone anxiety. It sucks. <laughs> I think I think it's because I'm just worried of like being a nuisance. But the thing is, is that like I've come to realize that even though I'm a little bit anxious about calling somebody, if they're busy, they're just going to tell me they're busy, and that's that's the. Or end they of won't it. pick up the phone yeah. again. Decatastrophize. The worst things that could happen are they pick up and say they're busy, or they don't pick up. And you leave a message at the sound of this tone. <laughs> you know. When it comes to talking to people, especially people that you have a crush on, um, there's a tendency, even if you are an expert 
of communication, you will make an ass of yourself. <laughs> and everybody does. Everybody has a moment where their tongue gets tied, where they get so nervous, they just start talking and it becomes this rambling thing. And it just goes on and on and on. And every, you get kind of embarrassed and flustered. It happens to the best of us. I, I, it happens to me all the good goddamn time. What I would recommend is don't get too inside of your head. This might be something that you do maybe a little bit of exposure role play with people that you trust. You can have them simulate being the girl that you're interested in, and you can kind of simulate conversations going well and conversations going not so well. Have some of your friends be really receptive. Have some of your friends in a loving, supportive fashion be less receptive. And that way you can sort of experience what it is on both ends. You can sort of play out how, you know, what are some topics you might want to discuss? Be yourself, be genuine and be natural. If you sometimes make mistakes when you're talking, I do it all the time on this show. I mispronounce words. I get lost. I sometimes have to repeat myself and people call me on it. And it's something that I can improve on. But I don't let it stop me from talking. I don't let it stop me from from trying to share my point of view. And and I have a list, and I do the show anyway, right? Like I don't let it stop me. Yeah, so so it's, that, that's just how you have to be, right? So rather than us focusing on these things, I mean, you know, it's it's Vero. You aren't trying to avoid words that would trigger your lisp, and nope. I just sound shitty sometimes. It's just something I have to accept about myself. Yeah. And I hope people like me anyway, and people who like me for that. People, you know, frankly, if somebody wants to date me, they have to get used to the fact that I've got a lisp, right? So, like, I can't hide my flaws forever. So, somebody's going to have to like you despite them or like you yeah. for them, or even, even appreciate them or find them endearing. Some mm-hmm. people who like you will find your flaws endearing, and that's totally fine, right? Like, some yeah. people tell me my lisp is cute, and that's fine. <laughs> I think that, like, somebody's telling me my acne is cute. I'm like, what? It's my <laughs> least favorite feature about myself. How how could you possibly think that's cute? I ask you somebody say, no, I actually think acne is really cute. I'm like, Fuck, I'm the right man for you then. <laughs> I can draw the constellations on your back. Uh, <laughs> um, no, it, it is true though, um, both about the acne and also flaws. Um, and if you want to be with somebody, they have to accept you as you are. And one problem and one error that people make, especially where they have social anxiety, is you script things out and you just don't go with the flow. If you try to script out what you're going to say to her and how you're going to say it and, okay, well, I'm going to you know, say, and here's where I make a joke, pause for laughter. It's not going to work out. You're going to sound robotic. And that's quite frankly, more off-putting than being your own true self. Right. That's based on the fear of them discovering who you really are. And mm-hmm. frankly, if they don't know who you really are, there's no point in you trying to begin with. So let them know who you really are. And if they don't like who you really are, it's not a relationship worth pursuing anyway. And, you know, there is a way to say, hey, you know, just to let you know, I'm really nervous, but I'm really excited to talk to you. There is a way that you can say that basically how I just said it without saying like, because when I grew up, I didn't really, you don't need to unload all of that baggage. If you say I'm really nervous, but really excited or, or something to that effect, something that you would say you yourself, you don't have to use my words here. It's going to kind of show this girl that you are super stoked to be having this conversation with her in person. And that's great. And a lot of people respond. 
You got this girl's number by handing her a Taco Bell hot sauce packet. I'm just saying you've got somebody with a sense of humor. You've got somebody that probably is accepting of you. And you've got somebody that, quite frankly, is probably interested in you as you are. Don't lose yourself to your own anxiety. So talk with your friends. Think about how this could end positively or negatively. Maybe try some role play conversations with your friends. But most importantly, just be yourself. If you're nervous, you're nervous. We're all nervous, especially when we talk to our crush for the first time in person. We 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 put our we 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 have diarrhea of the mouth, and it can be an ugly thing. But maybe she's nervous to talk to you too. So don't get too inside of your head. Kind of let things happen. Try to game it out a little bit beforehand. Don't think that just because you're nervous, it's going to be a failure. And don't think that if it does end and that not being a relationship, that it's the end of everything. You've done a lot of really great things from your question, from your feedback. You've done a lot of good focusing on yourself, not worrying about what other people think of you, not letting their opinions run your life. And this is another area that you can expand on. Don't let your negativity run your life. Don't be your own biggest saboteur. Let yourself be your own biggest advocate. And even though you are nervous for life, but excited about this conversation, cheer yourself on from the inside. That's what I do. I psych myself up. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, just, just, Work with yourself and be gaming it out in advance, gaming out the conversation in advance, realizing it can't, even if it goes badly, it can't really go that badly. That really will help. So, I think we're going to move on to our next question. Unless yeah, I'll take a crack at yeah, okay. I'll take a crack at the next one if that's all right. So, this is question number four. Subject: My husband left me for his new partner, and I don't know what to do. My husband of eight years decided to bring in a third as an equal partner. And I disagreed with this. The equal partner uh, part makes it seem like my eight years was wasted. He ended up going to fur cons and spending a ton more quality time with a third and bonding with him, where my husband should have been spending that time with me. So I was left pretty much by myself in the relationship for a while. We still have, now we've separated and he's looking to divorce me and marry the third. This was brought up within two months of meeting them. We don't have that much contact anymore. And I try to text him. He doesn't really reply back, that kind of thing. So I'm not sure what to do. Should I just go for the divorce or should I try to win him back? I still have extreme feelings for him, but I don't think he feels the same way back. And I don't know that he shares his feelings with a third about me. I know he shares his feelings now with a third but he, that are about me, but he doesn't share his feelings about me with me. So I never know what he's actually thinking about me. Right before the breakup, we had an anniversary and I made him a very romantic meal with candles and wine and he kept accusing the third of planting the idea in my head and calling me an asshole for giving him gifts and thinking of him. He's never been super romantic with me or anything in our relationship but I, and I wanted it that way but he was going, but it's hard for him to say the love word and he freaked out when I even said it to him. Now, I'm not sure if this was planned from the beginning of meeting the third on his part but I, I would like advice on what I should do next. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you got left, unfortunately. You were broken up with, and your partner didn't tell you. This is one of those downsides um, to people using polyamory as a cover. Uh, Your husband wasn't practicing ethical polyamory. He was practicing polyfuckery. 
this is a situation where see polyamory in our, according to our definition we I, we always say you know what does that mean for you your husband's using a different definition than our definition because our definition of polyamory requires the enthusiastic consent of all parties involved you never gave your enthusiastic consent for this relationship it sounds like you were brought along kicking and screaming and your partner basically completely railroaded your emotional needs and didn't care about you whatsoever and forcing this relationship on you that you never wanted so yeah, your partner emotionally abandoned you um, and you should leave them and move on to someone who cares about you. That's the end. This is one of those rare, yeah. uh, as Savage would say, this is a DTMFA situation where you, your partner abandoned you. And unfortunately, they're not unless they come around and realize, oh shit, I really fucked up my marriage and want my partner back. Unless they have that realization, there's no winning them back. It's just they, they either need to realize that you're actually what they want or they won't realize that. You can maybe consider taking them back if they ever have a come to Jesus moment and realize they took you for granted and you're actually the person they really wanted and they sound like they're actually being sincere. But um, if that doesn't happen, there's no reason to stick around waiting for this person. They left you. Yeah. Um, you need to look into getting a divorce lawyer. Um, that's I, And I'm sorry to say that, but you're position of wanting to win him back is mildly troubling because it sounds like he's taken everything from you. He took away your consent and entering into this egalitarian relationship with this third party. He went off to conventions and left you behind with the kids. He doesn't share his emotions or his thoughts about you with you. What more can you give? There are self-sacrifices that we do make in relationships, but it has to be fair. It sounds like you have gone above and beyond the call of fairness. And while it sucks because you've been married for eight years, and that is a decent amount of time, you've built a life, you have children together. Unfortunately, it sounds like he no longer wants that. So I would recommend in your own best interest, don't speculate on whether this was a planned move on his part. Don't speculate on why he's leaving you. He's leaving you. Get a divorce lawyer to protect your interests. And it's, it's unfortunate, but in this case, it sounds like he has made the unilateral decision to end the relationship. And unfortunately, there's not really much you can do to circumvent that. Don't try to win him back. Just try to put yourself on the best footing to move forward. In relationships like this, and, and I'm just going to speak more in a general kind of sense and not necessarily in the context of this particular question. So I guess this is a bit of a segue um, or maybe just a digression. In relationships like this where one party doesn't give consent, it's it's unethical polyamory. And it's not polyamory anymore to me. Yeah, it's cheating. He cheated on you. He cheated on the questionnaire. And I've seen relationships where this happens. And... I mean, we have an example of it right here. This is a problem that 
people that are in polyamorous relationships are faced with. You this happened def- to me multiple times, by the way. This is actually how all of my relationships have ended. <laughs> it's yeah. from someone basically just investing in a new person and emotionally abandoning me. I don't really leave people. It's actually a flaw that I have. But when people emotionally abandon me, I'm, I can recognize it when it's happened. And I will cut people off. When I see this happen to me, I'm good at recognizing when I've been emotionally left. When someone is there in body but not in mind, I can feel it. And you, I think you can probably feel it too. It doesn't feel good. It's actually one of the worst feelings. It actually feels worse than being left. Yeah. It feels far worse than being abandoned because the person abandoned you didn't even, didn't even have the heart to tell you. So they've just been leading you on. That actually feels like garbage. So I, I believe me, I completely empathize. My heart goes out to you. And I've, this situation has happened to me and it breaks my heart because it's actually, I've literally had my heart broken in this way. So I'm so sorry, but you need to move on. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, it's... It sounds like if you are going to enter into future polyamorous relationships, one of the first things that you should do is set that definition. It sounds to me like what you're looking for in a primary partner is no other primary partners. You want one singular primary partner and then the remainder to be secondary. And that is a very important distinction that you should make because again, as we say in our de- as part of our definitions, Poly, all relationship terms are variable upon the individual. One person's polyamory is one person's monogamy. And that might sound really strange, but... What does it mean for you? It's a very important question for a reason, right? So, But the fact is you have to know what kind of relationship you want. It sounds like your needs and wants and your partner's needs and wants drastically diverge from one another. And when that happens, often a breakup is what is required. And it sucks. You may not even still have feelings for each other, but your feelings for each other aren't, might not be enough to paper over the fact that you've got a massive clash of needs and wants. And when your yeah. needs and wants don't align anymore, that relationship is not going to be harmonious. Yeah. And sometimes you have to care less about your feelings for another person and you have to start caring more about protecting your own self, your own emotions, your own well-being. Because an unreciprocated approach to this can it's it's unrequited love especially when dealing with heart heartbreak is incredibly damaging so it's important that if your husband is talking about divorce they you two have separated he is with his other partner it sounds like that is the new norm and it sounds like it is in your best interest to get, again, a lawyer, to get a divorce lawyer, to see what you can do to safeguard yourself and your children's future in the best way possible. <sighs> it's it's really my, I'm, I'm very sorry that you find yourself in this situation. I really am. And I really do wish the best for you moving forward and that hopefully... I know that there, in cases like this, there is still a lot of love, but hopefully you'll find a new partner that you can invest those feelings and that love for that is able to reciprocate that without trampling over your own emotional boundaries. We're going to move on to our next question. I'm 26 years old and still a virgin. Hey. 
I'm a bisexual male who's 26 years old and is still a virgin. I desperately want to have sex, but I don't know anything about dating or even how to engage in a scenario that would lead to sex. Just to be clear, I just want to have casual sex. I am not looking for a relationship at this point in my life. My issue was that I was very shy for a long time, so I never got experience with dating before. I am far less shy today, but I still don't interact with others as much as I could. At a fur meet a couple of months ago, I saw a guy who I felt very attracted to, but I never made an attempt to talk to him, and I'm not sure why. I know anxiety is a major block to many people, but I never really felt anxious in that situation. Another thing I can't explain is even though I am bisexual, I have this notion that I have to have sex with a female first, despite the fact that I have more of a preference for men. I have also found that physical attraction is a major factor in who I would be willing to have sex with. In past, people have tried to engage with me sexually, but I did nothing because I wasn't attracted to them. Currently, I have noticed this guy on a furry social media site. While I have not chatted with him directly, he has provided enough evidence in his comments to believe that if I straight up asked him if he wanted to bang, he would almost certainly say yes. But since I don't know what he actually looks like, I don't know if that is something I would want to do. So my questions are, how could I engage with people more that would lead to some bedroom fun? What could be keeping me from talking to others? Are my personal standards too high? Should I actually try to have sex with a female first or just take the first opportunity that comes along? Should I contact the guy on the furry site? Thanks for the advice. Okay. So my first piece of advice uh, is going to be a little bit controversial because legality might vary based on your area. But my first piece of advice is going to be hire a sex worker. Because you are looking to lose your virginity in a casual sex scenario. You have very high physical standards. You know exactly what you want the scenario to look like. And you're anxious because you're not, you, you think, you know that you want to have sex with a girl first and all this other stuff. You know what? Hire a girl to take your virginity. It will make you feel so much better. And then, you can, then maybe you can move on to dating a guy and feel like you got that out of your system. And maybe you want to even hire a male afterwards to feel, get that out of your system and learn what that's like. It's fine. Actually, sex workers love doing that it's actually one of the easiest gigs they have is like showing a new person the ropes it's totally fine that's like that's one of their main client types to be perfectly honest you can totally do that it might not even be that expensive it's probably might even be cheaper than like the number of dates you'd have to go on to get laid anyway like to be honest if you're just looking to casually get laid a sex worker might be your economical best bet and you get the option of picking which is cool you get to just look at their pictures and be like you know what that one and then you can make that happen. So if you're in an area where escorting or sex work is legal, give that a shot. That's, that probably might be one of your best options. Now, granted, you have to pay for that. So you may have to save up a little. But I mean, if you've waited this long, 26 years is a long time to wait. Maybe you don't buy the Xbox this year and you finally get laid. You know, I mean, it's your option. I'm not sure. Do I sound like one of the Republican senators who's like, you know, don't buy an iPad. You can pay for your health care this year. I don't know. Like, I, hopefully it's not the same. But you get the idea. I honestly would highly recommend just doing hiring a sex worker because you're looking for casual sex. If you told me you were looking for a relationship and you wanted the sex to be emotionally meaningful, I would not tell you to do that. But you're telling me you want to lose your virginity in a casual sex context. And that just screams sex worker to me. What do you think, Metrico? I would agree with that. I mean, it's it's. I do think that you are perhaps the biggest ambassador for sex workers that I know. Um, which I'm not. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, that's fair. But like, I, I'm pretty passionate. It, it, I do have a political bias, where I think sex work should be decriminalized. Personally, 
But right. that's because I'm very sex positive, and I think there's no reason why that can't be a transactional thing. But whatevs. <laughs> now, let's let's say that that is not an option for you. Let's say that you live in a fairly uber conservative part of the world where sex workers uh, it presents more of a danger than an outlet. So you asked a series of questions, both in the body of your email and then at the very end. So I can't really answer why you didn't talk to people. I don't know why. You don't know why. It could just be maybe you are a little bit shy. Maybe you the moment didn't seem right to you. There, there are many factors that can go into it. My advice is talk to the people. Maybe don't outright you know, walk up to somebody and say, Hey, nice shoes. Do you want to fuck? I mean, that doesn't always work in my experience. That hasn't worked. Well, it worked once, but you know, don't, don't, you know, Hey, is your refrigerator running? Cause I'm going to suck that dick. Um, that's not a really good lead in. I would say. Speaking of bad settings, can I, can I just talk about the fact that you have no idea what this person looks like who you're flirting with and how you're considering sex with this person without even knowing what they look like. I am really confused by why sex is even on the table if you have no idea what each other looks like yet. Why are you even considering sex with this person? Like, I'm just, I'm really, like, what is, what, like, what is your, is it really just I'll have sex with literally anyone who will sleep with me? Because if that's your standard, you're not going to have a good time. And I'm not, why is it that you're thinking so poorly of yourself that you want to lose your virginity so desperately that you literally sleep with anyone? At that point, I mean, that's just kind of screams low self-esteem. And I, I really would encourage you to, think more highly of yourself. You actually can get what you want. Like you don't have to give it up for the very first thing that comes along your path. You, you do, you are allowed to pick and choose, you know, and I, I would really encourage you to think about why it is that you're, you're lowering your standards to the point of not having any at all. You know, it's, it's in defense of the questioner, uh, questioner. Uh, he does say that he does have specific, you know, he does have standards in terms of physical appearance and that sort of thing. But then why my are you having con- sex with someone you don't know the physical appearance right. though? That's my concern. That, right? that is my, that is my concern as well. Um, and I find that this happens a lot within the furry fandom. Uh, he does mention that, that uh, this individual is on a furry social networking site and. I mean, they have a cute persona or a great fursuit, but the fact right. is you go to sleep together at night with your clothes off. So that doesn't really help. <laughs> Yeah. So don't find yourself, and this is something that I find a lot of people who are inexperienced with sex, regardless of the age or inexperienced with relationships, trapping themselves into. And that's a fantasy guy that they don't know or girl that they don't know anything uh, about. You know, it's just this this fantasy person. They and reject they, all their get, fantasies on them because they don't know anything about them. So yeah. all their fantasies could be true until they know that until they know that they aren't true. They imagine that they are. <laughs> and so, and I I did this a lot when I was. Oh, everyone's done this. You know, it's it's I protect all of my fantasies, and this is going to be Mister Right. And then I see my manic pixie dream girl who saves me from all my problems. And it's not because nothing will ever be as good as your fantasy. Yeah, that's why it's a fantasy. So I feel like on some levels, you're putting the cart not just ahead of the horse, but you don't have a horse yet. You just have a cart, a cart full of your hopes and dreams and wishes. And you should probably, I'm just going to advise, take a step back for a second and, and think about, so you want to have sex. That's great. A lot of people want to have sex. 
a lot of people, a lot of people want to have sex. While you may not go up to somebody at a cafeteria, at a restaurant, say, hey, I like your hair. Do you want to get out of here? There are some people that are not going to be as open to casual sex. You know a good place to find people who are open to casual sex? Grinder, Tinder, Furries Extreme, After Dark Twitter. There are locales that you can find sexy singles in your area that want to Dive fuck. bars. Yeah, hookup bars. Look up singles yeah. bars. All of these places, right? There yeah. Plenty of places that you can look. And I will kind of. Swinger clubs as well. Oh, Libertine yeah. clubs. Things of that nature. Play parties. Munches. I will say this. Make sure that because you don't necessarily go into what physical standards of attractiveness that you have, make sure that you're not setting those standards too high. It is difficult for me to ascertain what those are because you don't detail them. I, I, I don't like making like, again, we don't like making uh, this a transactional sort of thing, but there does come a point of practicality, right? Like, I don't want to say that look, having a league is like a thing that people should really think about actively because it's kind of it's mostly bullshit, right? But there does come a point where it's like if I know that I'm not conventionally attractive and I will only accept relationships with people who are conventionally attractive, I have to realize that I am lowering my odds of connecting with people because I'm making that person in some ways settle for me in a way that I'm not making – Right. Because like they, they, if there's someone who's, if I'm being shallow, they have the same right to be shallow. Right. That's the problem there. And so if they're also a shallow person, they could be dating someone who's also attractive. Right. So you have to be able to compensate somehow. If if, if you're a shallow person and you actually allow for your partner to be that way in that particular sense, is that got to be compensation in terms of, well, I, but I, I do offer them emotional support. I do offer them, you know, so make sure that you're actually someone who can offer something that makes you an attractive partner, right? You have to be able, that's the thing. Everyone has to be attractive in their own unique way. You don't have to rely on physical attraction, but you do have to be attractive. And it doesn't mean you have to fake something, but you have to be your authentic self in a way that it can attract someone else. Does that make sense, Metrico? If you're looking for a relationship, yes. Yeah. If you're looking for casual sex, your options kind of go a little bit wilder, we'll say. Because you have people that just kind of want to have sex and they may not necessarily have physical standards. I really think that your best bet is going to be looking at applicate at apps or websites or services that specifically cater to this sort of experience that you're looking for. If you can't go to a sex worker, you can go to Grindr, you can go to Tinder, you can find a way to sort of make it happen. Now, you may not find people are just willing to just kind of have a no strings attached one night stand. It's, it's there, there's, you have to interact with people is kind of what, what my point comes down to. It's you talk about how you don't interact with others as much as you could. And like not not to disparage you or your actions, but if if you want to have sex with somebody, you have to interact with them because sex is an interaction, and there's an interaction that leads up to that, and that's a conversation. So you need to talk to people, and that that's the first step you need to take. 
So another reason that I'm going to go back to my recommendation of hire a sex worker or even go to a place where you can hire a sex worker. <laughs> the reason I'm suggesting this for a second time is even actually as kind of a emotional and physical safety issue for you is that there's when you're looking to lose your virginity in a casual sex scenario, there's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario baked into that, which is the question of do you disclose that you're a virgin when looking for this casual sex? If you don't tell people, you're very likely to encounter somebody who doesn't make you feel special and doesn't really, they're kind of selfish during the sexual encounter because they're there to get laid and get off just the same way that you theoretically are. But because you're with someone who's more likely to be a selfish lover, you probably aren't going to get all that satisfying of a first time experience. And that person might not, won't even know that you're a virgin, so they're not going to make you feel special. And so that's going to be probably a pretty unsatisfying emotionally uh, experience for you. That's why I would recommend not losing your virginity in that particular way. The advantage that you now the advantage you get from telling people that you're a virgin is that they can then make you feel special. But you're also going to get a lot of people who are going to probably take advantage of you or make an attempt at taking advantage of you because of your naivete that is associated with you being a virgin. So people who are abusive or people who are more likely to be abusive will kind of latch on to you. It's kind of like smelling blood in the water for an abuser. They're going to realize that you're vulnerable, and that's basically like fresh meat. So you're going to make yourself vulnerable by doing that in a casual sex scenario. That's why my general advice is to lose your virginity just to a trusted friend, even if it's not someone you're in love with, because a friend is at least invested in your emotional well-being and is invested in your pleasure, is invested in your happiness, invested in your joy. A random stranger doesn't have that investment. Now, you can pay someone to invest in your pleasure, and that's what a sex worker is for. Because when you pay someone, when you pay a sex worker... They will make sure that you feel special and they will make sure that you have an amazing A plus time because that's literally what they're paid to do. And they're going to give you a great experience because it's what they're paid to do. And you can tell them that you are a virgin because that is something that they are ex basically experienced with dealing with, I guarantee you. And they will probably will have a, oh, I have to give them the virgin package. They probably have a whole scene that they just automatically launch into. And it's one of their favorite types of scenes to do. So do not be afraid to request the virgin package. I have a story. Yeah, Metrico? Metrico's jumping in. All right, let's jump with the story. I have a story about this. Um, so when I was in, um, I was running a convention, and I won't name the one because it's not involved with the fandom. This was an academic convention. And one of my staff members, who was a friend of mine, uh, was kind of in the same boat that the questioner is, um, a 26-year-old virgin that had outside of a few porns had never seen a naked woman and was kind of a socially shy and mildly awkward sort of individual. Um, we were in, uh, I'll, I'll give the, we were in Tampa and Tampa has an amazing, I, I hope they still have it, but back when we were there, they have an amazing strip bar um, called sex odyssey 3000. And Oh my God. That's oh, amazing. it's fabulous. Um, and a whole bunch of us conspired to take him to the strip club. And this was, at the time, a uh, full nude bar. So there was no alcohol served, which was good because he didn't drink. And also, it was full nude for him. So we, we took him there and we told him ahead of time, we are taking you to a strip bar. And get in the car. We're going to see some boobs. And he got in the car and like nervously excited, like a kid on Christmas. And we got to the, we got to the strip bar 
and uh, we paid the cover. It's um, it was kind of great because I was the only gay guy there, like in the entire strip bar, and like um, I was still uh, at the time I was still doing a little bit of um, sex work on the side. So me and the me and the performers we got along great. Like they would come up and they're like, "You want to dance?" I'm like, "No, you get that coin, honey." Though, and so when they were off, when they were off or they were out having a cigarette because I smoked at the time, um, we would just chit chat. Um, meanwhile, we bought him a lap dance. We dropped a good chunk of money to make sure that he got a plus, a plus service. Like we're like treat him like royalty essentially. And I pulled uh, the dancer aside. I'm just like, let me know he's a virgin. So you might need to take a little bit of initiative. You might need to, he doesn't know what to do basically. (laughs) So she starts to perform the dance and, um, she's completely nude and she's facing away from him, her back to his chest, sitting on him. And he has no clue what to do. So she just very casually reaches down, grabs his hands and puts them on her on her boobs. And at that point, it was as if he had gotten the greatest Christmas present ever. Um, he thanked us very much so after afterward. He's like, I never, he had a lot of anxiety, but because he was able to do that, he's like, okay, I have an idea of what, what things I should do. And of course we're like, understand she's a professional. You might date somebody that maybe doesn't want you to be so physical at first, but you know, at least you have this, this hurdle jumped. And uh, he he went on a few weeks later to start dating somebody. And she was like, Oh, thank God. Like, (laughs) because we told her the story. Um, Oh, that's wonderful. So the thing is, is that, Regardless of the nature of sex work, whether it's uh, people that are working at a bar, whether it's people that are working as escorts, they do provide a very valuable service to help you get over that emotional hurdle at the beginning because everybody has nerves. Society plays up the idea of virginity so much and losing it is this big, special, momentous occasion. And there's usually performance anxiety wrapped up in that. But when you're with a sex worker, you don't have to perform. It's their job to perform. So the performance anxiety is gone because they don't give a flying fuck how well you perform, right? No offense to you, but a sex worker doesn't care. They're, they're there for the coin, not for the sex, right? So you're there for the sex. They're there for the coin. Everyone's getting their needs met. It's great. But but the fact is they're there to perform for you. And you can just relax and enjoy and have that experience and feel what it's like. Enjoy the sensations. Learn. Practice. Ask for some tips that's like an amazing way to, to have it, you know, to learn is like, Hey, tell me what you like, Ta- show me what, you, what makes you feel good. How do I pleasure you? Ask those questions, learn, experiment, you know, don't be afraid. And you know, you'll be, you'll be really good in bed in like no time at all. Frankly, it all, all it really takes is paying attention to yourself, being self-reflective and paying attention to your partner's needs and asking questions like what feels good for you. So to answer your questions, I'm just going to go down there. What could be keeping me from talking to others? Yourself. Um, you, you, you just need to talk to people. It's, you say that it's not anxiety. It's not you being shy. You just need to talk to people, take the initiative, say hello, introduce yourself. How are you doing? Make some small talk, get to know people. And then maybe if there's some kind of mutual interest, see if they're interested in a no strings attached hookup. Congratulations. Are my personal standards too high? I don't know what your personal standards are, so I can't really be the judge of that. I'll say that as long as you're interested in people that are interested in you, your personal standards are where they should be. Should I actually try to have sex with a female first or just take the first opportunity that comes along? Whatever you're most comfortable with. And man, even the way you phrase that question makes me uncomfortable. Please don't take the first thing that comes along. That doesn't sound good to you. That is a rather like, uh, like... 
Yeah, it's it's you should it's not people are not opportunities. <laughs> um, that is a very transactional way of looking at it. Opportunity knots. Yeah, <laughs> that's the name of your um, cover band. Apparently, yes. Um, it's a hair metal band because all of you dress up like rabbits. Oh my god! <laughs> no, stop, stop. Um, should I actually try to have sex with a female, or well, we'll just say a male, or? Um, a non-binary individual. So you should try to have sex with whichever gender you feel most comfortable with. And then from there, if you feel comfortable having further sex with a female or having sex with a male or having sex with somebody that's agendered or non-binary or wherever on the spectrum they fall on, that's up to you and your own personal standards and taste. Don't be a dick. Um, again, people are not opportunities. Do what makes you feel the most comfortable and the most fulfilled. Um, should I contact the guy on the furry site? You should probably maybe exchange picks. I mean, that's that's a good start and go from there. It's I wouldn't invest in a relationship if you have physical standards, if you don't know what their physicality is. Um, that's a recipe for disaster. So I would recommend against that and maybe say, hey, would you like to exchange picks? And you can start off kind of casual. Maybe you're wearing clothes. And then slowly and surely, if you feel that there is a mutual attraction, send nudes. That's a good way to do it. And we actually have an episode, by the way, uh, we should refer back to on uh, etiquette for using these kind of hookup apps. So please refer back to our hookup app. Uh, uh, hookup app etiquette episode. That is a tongue twister metric. Yeah, yeah. Hookup app etiquette episode. Please re- look at that episode because it actually has some great info that you might find really helpful as you uh, pursue this avenue, if that's the way you want to go. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Um, so, yeah, it's it's I know that these seem kind of like nonsensical answers to your questions. But quite frankly, I mean, I feel like we've done a good job of we're kind of cutting to the heart of the matter. I know we're not answering your questions directly, but we're answering the questions that you didn't ask that are more important. Yeah. So, <laughs> take all of this into consideration. Maybe my story in the middle about going to a sci-fi themed strip club is maybe not relevant, but but I enjoyed that rabbit hole. We keep referencing rabbits for some reason. I don't understand why that <laughs> the hair the hair of the dog that bit you maybe uh, quite possibly. But um, I do want to move on to our next question though, which is our sixth question. And they're writing about a first-time relationship. Hi there. So I am a very introverted person when it comes to meeting new people, and I typically tend to avoid it at most all costs. I never really experienced the typical high school dating scene, and as such, do not have much experience in that realm. Fast forward to the present, where I am trying my best to step out of my comfort zone. I have found a person I am interested in getting to know on a deeper level than just friends. Now my problem is that I just don't know what to do about some of the paranoia and anxiety that I've been feeling on the matter. I'm paranoid that I will mess things up before they even begin, or that I'm moving too fast. I've sought help from close and trusted friends, and their advice is to just be myself and go with the flow. But how am I supposed to go with the flow when I am so far out of my element, having been the one to initiate conversation and have interest in getting to know this person? I frankly feel like I'm spiraling a bit out of control and could use a bit of help getting myself back on track. Thanks for reading and possibly responding. We're responding. Indeed we are. So the fact is you just kind of have to, 
be brave. Like you can't, there's only nothing you can do here. We talked about this a bit earlier on the show, actually, but you can't be afraid of being yourself or be if, truly, if you're afraid of being rejected for being yourself, that means, you know, that you're not really ready to be looking for a relationship in a way, because if you're not ready to show someone your true self, you're not really ready to, to be vulnerable in that way. You're not really ready to be intimate in the way that a romantic relationship requires. So you have to figure out why you're reluctant to be intimate in that way. And maybe that's a self-confidence issue. Maybe that's a trust issue. Maybe it's, you know, a combination of things. But you, you have to think about, you know, why is it that I'm actually afraid of the thing that I want, which is intimacy with another person? And that's a tough question to ask. That requires a lot of introspection and a lot of self-knowledge and pretty high emotional intelligence. But you really need to ask yourself those questions because otherwise it's going to be tough to engage with anyone, whether it's your friend or somebody else. Um you know, does that ring a bell for you as well, Metrico? To an extent, yes. It's, I feel like there's a broader sort of point that can be made here. And that's, there is no set kind of chart. There is no sort of pathing that is set when it comes to a new relationship. There is no flow. And that's why everybody is telling you to go with the flow. Nothing is standard. Even though you have never sort of been in this situation before, you're going to find that you won't be in the same exact circumstance if you enter into a new sort of pre-relationship experience. Every person that you interface with in this way is going to be uncharted territory. And you have to sort of know yourself in order to navigate it. If you think about it like whitewater rafting, it can be turbulent and it can be scary, but it's exhilarating, right? And you can be sort of anxious. Oh my God, I might throw myself off the raft. Oh my God, what could, what what bad could happen? If you allow yourself to get wrapped up in all of the bad and you fortune tell all of the failures, those are more prone to happen because you're not looking at all of the good. You just focus on all of the bad. So what I would recommend, you know, Go with the flow is a very broad, generic sort of statement. That's something that you see on Jeep trucks. Go with the flow. <laughs> Stop for a second. Things are moving at a pace that you're not comfortable with. Take a moment for mindfulness. Take a moment to ask yourself, what is it that you want? What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're afraid of? What do you think you're doing right? How are things, what is it that's making you feel anxious? Pinpoint it. Don't just allow a general sensation of anxiety to overwhelm you. Find what it is. Is it because you're so unfamiliar with what's happening that you, it's, it's just, oh God, I don't know what's going to happen next. That's kind of how life is in, in a broad kind of nutshell. We don't know what's going to happen from one second to the next. I was at work yesterday and a failed terrorist attack happened not terribly far from where I worked. I can't predict that. We don't know what life is going to bring us. We don't know what interfacing with new people is going to bring us. So we should try to find the positives in each interaction. And we should try to find ways that, that we, we can navigate these sorts of new experiences in a way that is positive. 
we're always going to be anxious. We're always going to be nervous. We're always going to be mildly paranoid, perhaps, that we are saying the wrong thing and we're just doing nothing but putting our foot in our mouths. We all kind of go through this. Everybody has their first time, even if it's not in high school. I mean, Vero, you, you really didn't have relationships in high school. Your first relationship was in college, right? Or... No, actually, not even until graduate oh, school. Oh. So, yeah, I, I basically, I mean, I lost my virginity when I was like, depending on which virginity you're talking about, either tail end of high school, beginning of college. But I, uh, I mean, I didn't really have my relationship virginity taken until I was in graduate school. Right. So, um, yeah, that's definitely, you know, you don't have to, there's no rush. <laughs> and I, I certainly don't lack for sex these days, right? So, like, there's no rush. I don't really have regrets necessarily about not having sex sooner either. It's like I, I had sex when I was ready to. Mm -hmm. It's basically what it comes down to, right? So in cases like this, I always like to emphasize, you know, it, it's not about who makes the first move. It's not about having high school as kind of a breeding ground, so to speak, for relationship failures, because a lot of people do go through that in high school where it's a little bit more of a controlled environment. You might be the one who initiated the conversation with this person. You might be the one who is getting to know this person. But they're also there too. And while they may have more experience, they're still getting to know you as well. So what I would just recommend is the best way to go with the flow is to just be yourself. And the good part of being yourself is you don't have to worry about this new exhilarating experience you're just yourself it's 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 you just in a new place and that might seem a little bit basic that might seem a little bit kind of stupid as an answer but that's really the best tip for success if you're worried about failure you're going to overcompensate and kind of going back to my white water rafting example if you overcompensate when you're in rapids you'll capsize You'll run into rocks. You'll make mistakes. Just be yourself. That's what going with the flow is about. It's not about knowing what the flow is. It's about knowing who you are. What are you looking for in a relationship? What are you looking for? Are you looking for a long-term relationship? Are you looking for something short-term? Who are you as an individual? What are your goals, your dreams, your aspirations? Where do you want to go in life? That's a good conversation to have with the other person involved. Hey, I'm interested in this. What are you interested in? And these are ways that you can both easily navigate these rapids together. And it might seem scary. And it might seem you're so far out of your comfort zone that everything feels uncomfortable. But the more that you bring yourself into it, the more that it becomes your comfort zone, the more that it becomes your norm. The norm that you have is merely the pattern of things that happen on a frequent basis. And the more that you immerse yourself into this, the easier it gets. So worry less about the experience and just be yourself. I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. I say, I, I curse a lot. I mean, if, if you listen to the show, this is basically how I am. I, I don't really have a show personality because uh, the show to me is a, a good way for me to kind of be vulnerable. 
And when I first started doing the show, I was nervous about what that would be kind of received as because part of me is a little bit goofy. Part of me is a little bit silly. Part of me wants to just make World of Warcraft jokes. (laughs) But people appreciate it when you're genuine and people enjoy it when you have vulnerability because it brings about a relatability. And I find that when I try to put on a show as somebody that I'm not, um, if I'm acting, for example, in a production, people don't relate to me. They relate to the character. And that causes issues for me if I want to be kind of well-received. They can enjoy my performance, but they enjoy my performance as somebody else. You're not acting as somebody else here. You should just be you. Take your time with this. And, and, and there's no rush to get into a relationship. There's no rush to end the conversation. There is no rush to get to the finish line. Just be yourself. Take the time that you need to be comfortable. And it could be that you need more time than this individual is comfortable giving you. And that's fine. This might be your first potential relationship. And this may be your first potential relationship outside of high school. But not everybody starts dating early and not everybody gets into a meaningful relationship until, you know, later in life. Be yourself. And people tend to follow you when you do that. And that's kind of the most meaningful advice that I wish I could give myself when I was a little kid. (laughs) Especially when it came to relationships. So that paranoia comes from not being comfortable with who you are, I find. That anxiety comes from being afraid of being rejected. Love yourself, and people will love you for it. We're going to move on to our final question, though. And Vero, if you don't mind, would you take My pleasure. Thank you. Self-worth in poly relationships is our subject. Question. Hi guys, I've really been enjoying the podcast. It's been really useful and insightful and has helped me learn a lot about relationships and how to handle conflicts within them. I have a question and was hoping for some advice. I'm a guy in a poly relationship with a few other guys. My partners all get a lot of attention from other people and have no trouble finding other dates or play partners. I'm happy for them, but I seem to have trouble finding play partners myself and don't really get much interest from other people terribly often. It tends to make me feel quite insecure about myself and negatively affects my self-esteem. I try very hard to not be salty when my mates have dates or hooking up and I'm just going about life as usual, but it can be really difficult at times. Do you guys have any advice for feeling insecure when your partners get a lot more interest in action than you do? So Metrico, I think even though I, I read, I'll, I'll take a first crack at this one just because I'm a polyamorous guy in a polyamorous relationship with yes, other guys. <laughs> Similarly to this fellow, um, but yeah, this is a situation that definitely happens a lot. But one thing that I think you need to kind of question in yourself, and it kind of is even apparent from the way you asked, is you keep talking about people showing interest in you. I'm not hearing a lot about you showing agency and going out and seeking dates, though. What are you doing to make sure that you're busy when your partners are out being busy? You're just out, you're just at home living your life, but like maybe you could make, go. If you are you going out of your way to maybe look for munches in your area that you could go to, like polyamory munches or, or play parties or, you know, events, 
Maybe if you have trouble finding people to hook up with on, on, on apps or something, change your approach. Maybe try a bar. Maybe try going to a sauna. Maybe try going to a, a, a bathhouse. Maybe you try going to a play party. Maybe you try going to a dungeon. Maybe you, you connect, maybe you connect better with people in person. Maybe you connect better with people online. Whatever you're doing right now, do something else. It's your responsibility to keep changing it up and find something that works for you in a way that you connect with other people. Clearly, you aren't a not completely unattractive, hideous person because you're in a polyamorous relationship with a few other dudes. I, obviously, you're an attractive, something of value to you. Um, so you shouldn't have that much trouble finding other people. It's not that you're unattractive. Don't take it personally. It says something wrong with your approach right now. And instead of just saying, oh, woe is me, I'm not attractive, change, have a growth mindset. Don't have a, a fixed mindset about yourself. Realize, you know what? There are things I can change. I can change my approach and how I look for other partners. Maybe I change my hair. Maybe I, I focus on am I, if I'm not paying attention to my hygiene, maybe I focus on my hygiene. Maybe if I'm not paying attention to, you know, the clothing I'm wearing, maybe I, I, I improve my wardrobe. Maybe I do, I update myself. Maybe I, you know, try to get current with some new memes so I, I can have some spicy, I can have some spicy shit posts and get, get attention that, you know, who knows? Something about your approach needs to be shifted, you know? And I would really, really appreciate it if you would, you know, think about those types of things for yourself because that's what really needs to change. It's not you. You're a perfectly good, valuable person who would be perfectly happy in dating and hooking up situations just like your partners. But there's something about the way that you're approaching the situation that's a barrier right now. Maybe what your partners is doing, maybe they're bottoms and maybe they get way more attention from tops because they're bottoms. If you're a top, you might have to do the pursuing yourself. That often maybe shouldn't be that way, but there does tend to be a stereotype that the dominance or the tops pursue the submissives or the bottoms and that you know, the, the submissives and bottoms need to be coy and the dominance and tops need to be, you know, aggressive and hunters, right? Um, that does tend to be the way it works. So if you are a bottom, you know, if you're, if, you're, I'm sorry, if you're a top and your partners are bottoms, you might have to be the one who does the seeking out. And if that's uncomfortable for you, if you're like a subby top, that can be sometimes a bit of a challenge being out of your comfort zone, but you do have to shift, shake things up to find a way to play in that situation. And if you happen to be a subby top in that way, again, my recommendation might be play parties or dungeons or things like that, because you're more likely to encounter part partners who are just kind of good to go. And there won't, won't be that, that quite that much of a hurdle to finding people. So uh, give that a shot maybe and distract yourself that way. Even if it's just a matter of, you know what, my partners are out on a date. I'm going to go to the gay sauna and I'm not going to touch anybody else, but I'm just going to go to the gay sauna and I'm going to jerk off and have some, have some people watch me. I'm going to, just going to go do an exhibitionist scene. Maybe just feeling sexual and liberated and kinky in a like sexual space like that would make you feel better about the fact that your partners are out having a date with somebody. And you can feel like, you know what, I did something sexual and for myself too, where I got to feel sexual and liberated and fun. Like I was doing something different and out of the norm too. You don't even need someone else to do that. You can do that on your own. You know, maybe it's even, I'm just going to read a really kinky story. I'm going to edge myself for six hours. I'm just going to have, I'm going to like coat the ceiling, you know, while my partners are away having their date. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe you just indulge in yourself. Maybe that's who you go on a date on. Maybe you take yourself on a date, right? That's fine too. There are lots of fun things you can do to, that taking advantage of the fact that your partners are out. It doesn't have to be sexual with another person. It could be sexual with yourself. It could be non-sexual. There are lots of ways you can fill your spare time to make yourself satisfied and fulfilled while your partners are out. Just take advantage of that time and don't shame yourself for not getting as many fucks as your partners do. Because frankly, as long as you're getting as many fucks as make you happy, the, how many fucks your partners are getting don't, doesn't actually matter. Focus on getting as many fucks as make you happy and don't worry about how many fucks your partners are getting.
I agree with that. It's it's important that, especially in open or polyamorous relationships, that you don't compare your sexual, we'll call them conquests, to those of your mates because they're not always going to be on the same level. Um, when I was in my most recent open relationship, um, my uh, boyfriend uh, was we'll, we'll call conventionally attractive, a tall, strapping, blonde hair, blue eyes, like very, very attractive guy um, in conventional terms. And I'm a troll that lives under a bridge. So um, <laughs> Mexico's underselling. He's actually a very cute panda, but we'll, we'll let it go. So when he he just had a natural magnetism, and people would enter his life that wanted to have sex with him, and if I wanted to have other partners, I would have to kind of go out and make an effort and i do agree it's i'll echo what vero said in this as well what effort are you making where are you looking i don't know if you are looking maybe you're not looking in the correct places maybe you're looking at the wrong times we don't mean mean universally correct we mean correct for you by the way yes yeah yeah it's it's i mean for for me it's i found that I, I mean, I, I, I've already, I, I'll talk about this more, um, but, but I don't have that high of a sex drive, but there were definitely times where he was on, my boyfriend was off doing off, getting off and, and I could use a little bit of physical comfort. Um, so I found that some parties that I had at my house, um, this is when I lived in a pack house actually. So all sorts of fun past topics that we've discussed all happening at once. <laughs> um, we would have parties every Saturday night. Uh, no, sorry. Every, was it Saturday night? Yes, it was Saturday night. Um, because I, yeah. Okay. So Saturday night. Um, and it's people would come over and, you know, it's, it's, I met a lot of interesting people that way. Um, and some of them, and I ended up having sex where maybe they stayed over and they just wanted to cuddle all night. And I was totally down with that because I love doing that. I love physical comfort. So I found that by putting myself out there and not kind of in a lecherous sort of way where I'm just like, Hey, <laughs> I'll fuck anything that moves. Um, but, but rather just being myself and sort of just saying, hey, you know, I think you're really cute and, you know, no strings attached. But, you know, if you want to do something, just let me know. And sometimes people did. Some people, sometimes people didn't. And that was fine. For me, I just never compared my numbers to my boyfriend's because if that was a game, I would lose every goddamn single time, um, both <laughs> on virtue that he, he, he lived in. Uh, he was surrounded by more sexually. He had a higher sex drive, so he looked more. And also, um, it's it's. I was. Uh, I'm. I'm. Had. I'm, I'm. I'm homosexual. In case we haven't discussed that. And he. He was uh, pansexual, so he did have. We'll say a few more options available. <laughs> a few more doors that Johnny Carson could reveal to him. Um, whereas, whereas mine were slightly more limited by my own preferences. So, it's. I feel that the insecurity that you feel when your partners get more interest or action than you do. I mean, what do I do? It's, it's, 
I, I, you, you don't internalize that insecurity. You think about, okay, well, what are they doing and what am I not doing? And where are they looking and where should I be looking? And if you turn into, into a numbers game, then you're not really in love with your boyfriends at this point. You're in competition with them. And that's not really a healthy place to be. No, that's not. You, you, it'll breed resentment and it's going to kind of poison your relationship. So don't do that. Yeah. So, you know, look, look in places that have guys or girls. I mean, you mentioned that you're in a relationship with uh, a few guys. So I'll assume that you're you're homosexual. But if you're bi then look in places that have the girls that you're interested in or the guys that you're interested in. Maybe you're female. I'm not 100% sure, but so my, Oh wait, no, you say you're a guy. My apologies. I should learn to read. Um, You're a guy in a relationship with guys. So maybe you're interested in girls. Maybe you're interested in guys. Look at, go, go to the places that the people that you want to fuck frequent and find a way to be charming and charm their pants off. That, that's really the only thing you can do. But this is this is on you. This isn't on your your boyfriends. Their success, like this all doesn't exist in a vacuum. And the more successful that they are, the less likely you are to be successful. It's not like some limited supply. Uh, you can have just as much much success because your success is entirely independent from them because it's not about having the same amount of sex, but it's as Vero said, having the amount of sex that makes you happy. So keep that as your goal. Are you having as much sex as you want to right now? If not, have sex until you do. (laughs) And it may not be as much sex. Like Vero, you like to get off many times in a day if you can. Uh, I will say, ideally, I have a very high libido. Yes, I. I mean, if 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 once a week, I'm content. See, for me, it's not even like it's actually not about the getting off. That's actually a misrepresentation. I'm just like constantly good to go mm. like, mentally for me because I have a high mental libido. Like I'm just always right. ready to have sex for whatever reason. Like, just I, my brain always says yes. I. That's how I am. It's always my top priority because my brain is just wired that way. But whereas with me, like you got to put on like Bonnie Clyde's total <laughs> clips apart. Like there is there is a production and a ritual. <laughs> like, it is it is. I am not as mentally me, mentally wow mentally libidinous or or lecherous perhaps. Um, but but. In terms of like physicality, I am, I am a much more physically affectionate person, but I and that's where I express my intimacy. I don't necessarily need to put my dick in somebody's ass to be like, I love you. Um, <laughs> well, unfortunately, my emotions do kind of work that way. And it's a problem because some people don't understand that. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm a part of like, you know, like cuddling them will make me feel better. But like bounding uh-huh. somebody actually really does make me feel better. Like emotionally, if like I'm having a problem with that person, like sex actually can fix the problem. And it's weird sometimes for somebody who's a very like whose sex drive is very hard- hardcore wired to their emotional drive. Yeah. It, it can be hard for other partners to understand that sometimes. So if you're, you know, that, that, that's the situation, right? Like you have to be aware mm-hmm. of that. If you're somebody who's wired that way, you'd be aware of that. And that's a self-knowledge issue as well. Right. Right. That's your love language. Yeah, exactly. You know, this kind of ties in a little bit, maybe, with uh, the fourth questioner, the um, the individual that um, their their husband of eight years um, moved in with their new partner, and 
it's looking like a divorce. Um, it, it's in that question, um, the husband that effectively cheated um, grew up in a way where it wasn't so much like a verbal sort of love, where saying the word I love you or love or anything like that kind of made him feel very uncomfortable. And I can relate to that. And this kind of plays a little bit perhaps into your love language. And again, this is a massive digression, but I'm, and I apologize for it. I mean, the podcast is advice in general. That's the thing. People say, oh, you shouldn't digress on your show so much. It's like, hey, the questions are just an excuse for us to talk. They're kind of just a prompt. (laughs) So shut up. It's our show. Well, I mean, you know, it's, we do definitely want to address the question. I feel that we've addressed this question. Yeah, we have. We have, we'll address the question. If, if we get into other things, that's fine, too. That's my point. Yeah, yeah precisely. <laughs> so, you know, growing up where, in, in my family, um, the word love was really only used in between the words meat and pizza. Um, love was not something that my dad told my mom. I never heard them say, I love you. They never told me that they loved me. And it was just never an expression that was used. And I'm pretty sure I've spoken about it before on the show. It's, it's, I will say that it is something that is kind of awkward for me to say because it's not something that I'm used to expressing. Whereas love is kind of a constant expression in some people's lives and some people's households from a fundamental age. For some people that are raised in that fashion, whether it's an abusive household, whether it's a conservative household like mine, Sometimes you do have to be patient with that and, and, and understand that my expression of love may not be me just opening the door and being like, I love you, honey. It could be me being more physically affectionate, me wanting to hold hands or something like that. And that is a deep sort of statement for somebody like me. So it, it's, it's whereas Vero loves with his dick. Um, <laughs> you know it's it's it's, i love in other ways too yeah i know i know but but you know one of your primary sorts of my primary love language absolutely is yes so and we do we we did talk about love languages in a previous episode um and i do think that that's kind of important as like a self-awareness and a self-knowledge thing to take that quiz and understand yourself a little bit more because It helps you because people, again, as I said earlier, we like to compare ourselves to other people um, and compare people to other people because that's kind of how humans work. We we, we like to find differences and commonalities and group everybody into groups. But when it comes to the expression of love, it's unique to each individual. And even in relationships, you know, uh, one person might be a verbal lover. One person might be a physical lover. And that's the primary way that they express. And it's important to kind of know the differences there. Um, In cases where, you know, going back to the questioner, it's, it's the way that the amount of sex that they're having is probably going to be different from the amount of sex that you want to have. And that's completely fine. Understanding your own self, what you want, how you express love and affection and intimacy is going to stop you from comparing yourselves yourself rather to other people when it comes to these highly personal non-comparable sorts of categories so know who you are how do you love how much sex do you ideally want to have great questions to ask yourself great questions to evaluate and once you have the understanding you'll be much more you know content within the confines of your relationship 
that is our seventh question. We're going to end it there because we still want questions. Two hours is a good point. We're at around the two hour mark and that's pretty solid in my, in oh. my book. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a good point to break off. Um, we do have some feedback though. Um, we received a written feedback from a previous questioner that um, wrote about staying in a relationship to keep their internet privileges. And we also received a phone call message. Oh my God, it finally happened again. I knew we kept that phone number up for a reason. Um, and we'll play that for you um, after we respond to this initial feedback. Um, our former, our previous questioner writes back, I feel that I didn't properly set up my situation. I have an Android device that I'm able to contact everyone that matters to me with. Um, the maid and I are talking every couple days is just a cover story. I was looking for a healthy way to escape the relationship in a way that my parents could clearly see why we broke up and that I wouldn't need internet access from them anymore. I would still have been able to contact everyone that I needed to. I actually took action before you guys were able to answer my question. I broke up with my mate under the pretense that he would help me get out of with my cover story. I felt really bad about this, but the relationship had hit a breaking point and I just needed out. He said that he didn't want to see me in a difficult situation, and since we stayed friends, he was okay with helping me out with that. Perhaps I didn't make the right decision, but I made the one that self-sustained me and created the, less, the least amount of net loss. As I said, most of my emotional support exists online, so not having internet access is detrimental to me. Those three months were a very depressing time, and I really can't plan to go through that again. I fell back on my theory entropy as a coping mechanism as much as I could during that time, which I hate to do. You brought to light that it wasn't my par my partner's problem that I would be losing internet access. I really appreciate this, and I'm working double time to find a way to break it off in an explainable way for my parents. I actually feel pretty ashamed of myself for getting into this situation. Anyway, I wanted to end this email with a bit of feedback. Vero's line sounded very crackly and some points as if it was skipping a bit. I know voice over IP isn't super reliable, but it seemed worse than other weeks this past week. Also, do you guys use pop filters? I've noticed that even in past episodes, the uh, sounds are very sharp and can sometimes hurt when I'm listening through headphones. The bendable ones are pretty affordable. Thank you again for offering your advice for my complicated problem, and I'll be keeping in mind what you said. In general, I really enjoyed last week's show. It was Thanksgiving, and I was recording on a laptop, so sorry for the degraded audio quality. I think we actually mentioned that on the show that I was using my travel setup. So, yeah, we apologize yeah. for degraded audio quality when that happens, but we prioritize getting content out over getting uh, sound engineering perfect uh, when I'm traveling because when I travel a lot, and if we didn't put out shows when I was traveling, we just wouldn't put out a lot of shows. So one of the things I would like to upgrade uh, with money that is currently going into the show is actually upgrading my travel podcasting setup. So if you'd like to donate on Patreon to facilitate us upgrading our travel podcasting gear, that is certainly a welcome thing. We would very much appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one of, to, to answer your questions, um, when both of us are at home at our own private studios. We do have pop filters, um, yes. And we have an 80-20-20s that are beautiful mics. But unfortunately, yes. we're not always using our home setups. And we do yeah. have some technical difficulties here and there because we are recording literally across the country from each other. Opposite coast. So there are some latency and some weird issues we run into sometimes, but we do our best with the fact that we, we don't have a fully professional setup, nor do we do this full time. So, uh -huh. you know, it's a labor of love. We do our best. <laughs> yeah. So if you're interested in the technical aspect, um, Vero uses an AT2020 USB and I use an AT2020 USB plus. Uh, 
If you're ever interested in looking up to see what equipment we use, both of us have pop filters. I have one because um, I do have a minor speech impediment where my S's do whistle and there is nothing I can do short of breaking my jaw again. And it's not going to happen again. And I have a so, massive overbite because I couldn't afford to correct it when I was younger and therefore I have a lisp and oh well. <laughs> yeah. So our apologies that we have minor speech impediments. Um, we do our best to offset them. I went through more years of speech therapy than I would like to remember um, to relearn how to speak. And this is as good as it's going to get. So, And I just take um, advantage of the fact that my thick tongue is good for other things. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, but thank you for going into your situation a little bit more. It's um, again, like I said, at the top of the show, we can only really ever go off of the information that is presented to us and we have to fill in gaps sometimes. And sometimes we have to figure out intent and we get it wrong. Sometimes um, I would say this um, when you're an adult, it's a really nice thing to not have to explain why you stop dating someone to your parents. Um, as a, as a teenager, it may be as easy as saying it didn't work out. Um, I don't necessarily know if you need a nice and tidy, you know, sort of cover story for your parents. But um, I mean, it's obviously, you know, the situation better than we do. So, you know, do whatever you think is best. Um, but I am glad that both you and your friend, uh, your former mate are feeling a little bit more positive and you've, you've been able to make moves that make you feel happier and, you know, things are, things are looking up for both of you. We're going to move on to our uh, voicemail feedback. Um, this was from a listener who gave us permission to play it and also include all of it. And they included their name. So um, this is from one of our listeners, Linnea on our family episode. Hey there, Feral Attraction. I was just listening to your episode on family relationships, and when Metrico at the end mentioned his ideas on what a good family should be was unfortunately theoretical due to his family life growing up, I wanted to leave a comment. As a parent listening to the show, I found everything that was presented to be incredibly insightful and think the ideas presented were a wonderful goalpost for which to aim for. If my child approached me personally and communicated to me in the ways you suggested, I would truly be extra inclined to listen. My only comment would be to add even more on how it is okay to cut toxic people, including family, from your life. As someone who has literally had an in-law attempt to kidnap my daughter at one point, I can safely tell you that some people just don't have a place in your life, family included. Surround yourself with people that love you, and you will find yourself much happier. Thank you again, Vero and Metrico, for such an awesome podcast, and I hope to be a listener for years to come. From a loyal fan, Linnea. P.S. I am very okay with you mentioning my name on the podcast, and would be totally fine with you putting this on the podcast as well. Thank you guys so much for giving me something amazing to listen to, and I hope Whoever is listening to this has an awesome day. Be well. I just, uh, you know, I wanted to thank you um, for calling in and giving us this uh, feedback because, you know, with Vera and I coming from kind of similar yet uniquely different upbringings, um, it is good to hear from people that, from parents especially, that are able to find that there is some 
value in what we're saying and, you know, ways that they're going to be able to relate to their kids, but also to offer their own insight and their own input. Because Vero and I, we are not parents. Um, it can feel that way sometimes <laughs> with um. I mean, I date, I, I date twinks. So I, I feel like a parent sometimes, but, but yes, I'm <laughs> It's true. <laughs> so it, it is good to hear, you know, from from parents and also from people that had different upbringings from us about how they relate to, you know, their their kids and their parents as well. So thank you very much for your feedback and thank you for your permission for letting us play this. Um, I, I genuinely, genuinely love when we get uh, voicemails. So um, thank you so much for taking advantage of that service that we have set up. Um, we're going to end it there, though. We've been here two hours. It was our intention, for the record, for this to be like an hour, 20 minutes. But then I started talking, and yeah, bad things happens. happened. It was a good show, so. though. And I think our actually our discursive shows are more fun. So when we have fun, the audience has more fun. <laughs> so remember how on the Thanksgiving episode where we started talking about cuckolding and hot spousing and hot wifing and how that turned into a thing it's turning into a full show just like we threatened next week we are talking about cuckolding and hot wifing or hot spousing it, yeah it'll be a very fun show topic and something i've got a lot of direct experience with on, on pretty much all sides so it'll be a fun show we kind of did it in miniature on our previous show but we're going to expand it out and give it its proper shrift it'll be a good time we'll get shrifty oh no oh no <laughs> oh, no <laughs> Uh, if you want to get into touch with us, if you have questions, if you have very strong feedback about Vero referencing Rick and Morty on our, um, <laughs> if you have questions, comments, feedback, concerns, if you have suggestions for equipment that is travel capable for Vero, hit us up. Our contact page, trailattraction.com slash contact. You can email us. You can use our anonymous feedback form. You can, Hit us up on Twitter if you are really inclined. Please email us because that is the most reliable way to get both of our attentions. Um, we have a, fa a Facebook group that you can join in and also message. We also have a Telegram group that you can join in. Or if you would like to give us and leave a voicemail for us that we play on our show, you can call us on 94940SHIT. That is 949464 seven four four eight um, that is in the united states of canada so country code plus one um, please leave a message um, we won't pick up because it's not designed to be picked up um, because that would be kind of weird if we just kind of had a number where people could dial us and we would be able to telegram's already weird that way when i think about it it's so weird how connected we are at all times now i don't want people to be able to contact me like by the phone i would just be a constant bundle of nerves but this is a great way to leave a message and if you have a question that you want us to answer but you leave it as a voicemail we will play it i will put it in i will make the magic happen i promise you we'll make it work you can also help support the show um, in other ways. You can leave a rating or a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to our show. You can retweet our tweets. You can share our content. You can tell your mom to listen to us and pray that she doesn't get angry at you. And maybe she'll like the <laughs> show. I don't know. I don't know your mom. <laughs> Another way you can help support us is through Patreon. So 
Patreon has recently come up with some updates and they've adjusted the way that they do donation tiers and the way that they charge you as patrons. We understand that some of these changes are alarming. We have introduced new reward platforms that do as much as we can to offset their new cost changes. So please, if you are a patron of ours, pay attention. Please, we urge you, if you are in a position where you cannot handle or budget out the new increased cost to look at our new tiers, they are the same as the old tiers. It's just we've adjusted to kind of include the additional 2.9% plus 35 cents. So please take a look. We urge you to, if you need to move, please move. If you can't be a patron of ours, we understand no hard feelings. Matrico, you're such a good friend for adjusting my tears. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, no. (sighs) One of the tears that we have, you see, I just learned if I don't engage... He chuckles for a bit, and then I can just keep going. It's a, it's a that wonderful. Is like handle a collie. It's in my user manual. <laughs> uh, user or loser? Oh no! Oh, <laughs> I, I, I hurt you. Um, I know. One of the tiers that we do have on Patreon is that we do shoutouts at the end of every show. Um, we also have ones that are for hangouts at cons, which people took advantage of at MFF. Oh yes, I was forcibly hung out with, and it was a good time. We went oh. down and we had sodas in front in the con suite and I got to see the cute little soda machine. It was a good time. So, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, for whatever reason, I, I just pictured like an old timey, like, like I, I'm thinking like rubber hose animation, you callie, like, you know, bouncing up and down, like we're going to go get a malt. <laughs> gonna go, yeah. Going to go to the totally. soda shop. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. If you haven't seen me at cons, I'm practically manic the entire time. It's kind of bad, but it's actually really fun. I'm just just an energetic dog. (laughs) So one of the tiers that we do have um, is shout outs at the end of every show that we do for our patrons. And we have come to that part of the show. And it is really one of my favorite parts because we get to advertise other creators, other furries. That, that put out amazing work and it's part of being a great community. Um, one such patron of ours is Miss Hyde who participated in a streak for tigers around the London zoo on the 10th of August. This is two months ago, guys. We can still donate to her because this is a really good cause. She was fundraising for the protection of the habitat of tigers in the wild. And in order to do this, um, she streaked around the London zoo wearing a fursuit head donate to her if you can trust me this was an amazing cause um you can find more details on her twitter at hanaconda sparks it's like anaconda but with a h at the beginning hanaconda sparks or by going to her just giving page which is linked in our show notes on our website and you can find a link to that also in every episode snares is another patron of ours snares is an amazing artist does really colorful graphic art If you are a fan of hyper, big, muscly, awesome, hunky-looking dudes, Snares is honestly top-notch. He regularly streams. I enjoy going into a stream every now and then and saying hello. 
You can find out more information on his Patreon, patreon.com slash It is a one-stop site for commissions and artist information as well as his comic. Then you can get updates on that comic for just a dollar a month, so that's pretty good. Maybe you're interested in the written work. Well, Zarpolis is there for you. If you are a fan of you know furry and high-tech kind of sci-fi situations, you would be interested in the Parampurium universe by Zarpolis. Uh, he has published a short novel with a Thurston Hellpress that is titled The Pride of Parahumans, and you can check it out on Amazon. And you should also consider looking into his Patreon for more information, patreon.com slash Zarpolis. Or... Maybe you're looking for some videos. Maybe you want a friend on Twitter. Myron is there for you. It's You can be a friend of Myron's on Twitter at MyronTheFluffy. Or if you're looking for a new YouTuber to kind of look into for, you know, gaming and, you know, fandom content, Myron the Red Samanda. That's the name of the YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash Myron the Red Samanda. Again, links to all of this are in our show notes. Well, links. So, all that being said, we're really excited for next week because it's a topic that Vero has a lot of hands-on experience with. And we had so much fun talking about it last week. We're going to talk about it for even longer. Well, in some cases, hands-off experience is kind of the point. Hey, 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 save it for next week. Save it for next week, Vero. We got to end the show before Vero just fucking turns us into a two-part episode. So until next week, I'm Metrico. And I'm Vero the Science Collie who tells way too many puns. Be well.